0: This is a character and smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
2: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Carriker and Smallman. Another week as we have a, uh, a four-day work week here, getting ready for Independence Day weekend in America and in St. Louis. It's 7.01, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Good morning, Michelle Smallman.
3: Good morning, Randy. How are you today?
2: I'm doing good. Weekend was good. Kind of warm yesterday, but I handled it well.
3: That's Yesterday, the weather was what my grandpa would call a humdinger. Yeah, it was. It was very, very hot and humid.
2: Yeah, that, that was one of those... Those days where it was so hot that uh when the dogs were chasing the cats they were both walking.
3: There you go. But that's a classic St. Louis summer day. That was great. Going for a bike ride,
2: you get a breeze when you make a when you go on a ride and get up to sixteen miles an hour or whatever. I can't believe you would
3: want to do that. I, I'm more of an indoor cat when it gets that uh-huh. hot outside. It's just that humidity. The second you walk outside it's sticky. Yeah. No I, thanks.
2: I don't like it when I'm not moving around. But if I'm if I'm moving I'm fine with it. It's okay.
3: You're just more motivated than I am, Randy. Yeah.
2: I just I hate to waste days because there's a finite number of days that you have in your life that are sunny. So I like to get outside and utilize sunny days.
3: Do you have sunshine guilt? And by that I mean since we live in a place that's seasonal, we know that the sunshine days are only so many. Yep. I, I do too. And if I don't
2: get outside, yes. I feel like yeah, I wasted it. Yeah, yes. totally.
3: And it eats at you all day. You're like, I should get outside. I should get outside.
2: Right. Yeah, I definitely do. I, always, I didn't know it was called sunshine guilt. I, I made that, that for years. I made that up. Okay.
3: I also wonder if people who live in Florida, California, typically sunny year-round places, if they ever feel that
2: take it for granted. Yeah, say, oh, it's going to be sunny tomorrow. Yeah. There's no way I would. <laughs> I always remember hearing uh, Rick Monday, the old Dodgers broadcaster, saying, "I don't own a snow shovel." That was his uh, pretty cool thing to to have. To not own a snow shovel.
3: Yeah, it is. I have friends from California, or excuse me, from Chicago that moved to California, Mm -hmm. and they're like, we sold our winter coats. Yeah. We don't even own a coat. That's amazing. Yeah, it is. We've got
2: warm here, and we're going to have such warm that the Cardinals... Uh, 2020 Bush Stadium summer camp is upon us. Not spring training, it's summer camp. And we know the 44 players, Michelle, that are going to be participating in this Cardinal summer camp. And in my opinion, picking the 30 that are going to start the season, presumably, on the 23rd or 24th of July is pretty easy. I I have my roster already highlighted here, and I would think that Mike Schilt and John Mozelak do too. Is it easy for you, first of all?
3: Pretty easy. There's one or two names that I've circled as, you know, maybe, maybe. I
2: I have a couple. I have, the way it's set up, at least initially, 17 pitchers and 13 position players. And by the way, I wouldn't be surprised if once we get to that point where the roster starts being cut... If the Cardinals have less than 13 position players, one thing about the DH is that you don't need to pinch hit anymore. If you've got the DH, you've got nine guys, and they're hitting that day. So you don't need as many position players, and you're always going to need bullpen pitchers.
3: Yeah, stock up on those pitchers for sure.
2: But at the beginning, let's see if we agree. Uh, Let's just run down the list of pitchers. Okay. I've got Cabrera on the team.
3: Me too. Cecil? That's when I circled. Because while I, I could make an argument either way, we'll put it that way.
2: Uh, Moot point. He's going to be hurt. Okay, great. Uh, Junior
3: Fernandez. I do not have him on the roster.
2: Me either. A lot of people love him, including Danny Mack. Flaherty? Yes. Gallegos? Yes. Gant? Yes. Gomber? Yes. Helsley? Yes. Hicks?
3: I'm going to say yes, and I hope that I am right.
2: I am going with Hicks too. If he's going to be, we said it last week, if he's going to be ready by August 1st, he's going to be ready by July 24th. So I'm I'm with you there. Dakota Hudson? Yes. Uh, KK? Yes. Carlos? Yep. Michaelis? Uh-huh. Miller? Yes. Johanna Oviedo is here.
3: I do not have him.
2: No. Six six two forty five. He's going to be a Cardinal before you know it, though. Daniel Ponce de Leon?
3: Yes, I have Ponce.
2: Alex Reyes? Of course. Me too. Ricardo Sanchez? No. wayno Yep. Webb? Yep. And then Cody Whitley, who the Cardinals like a lot? No. I agree with that. And Jake Woodford? No. I agree with that. So you and I have the pretty much the exact same 17. And here's the cool thing about it. Is that you'll be able to send people like Junior Fernandez Fernandez, Oviedo, Whitley Woodford, and Ricardo Sanchez. They'll be working out down in Springfield. You have at least four and maybe five potential major league pitchers that won't be on your Cardinal staff of seventeen.
3: Which is a nice thing to have. And when when you look at the list of pitchers that you know are for sure going to be for the Cardinals, you like that lineup of guys and then you know, I have Brett Cecil kind of on my fence. But the other guys, like you said, Fernandez, Oviedo, a couple of those guys, not a bad spot to be in.
2: No, the the Cardinals have incredible pitching depth. And by the way, it might not be all Class A pitching depth, but you have 17 guys that are going to be here, plus more. You have 20, 21 major league pitchers. Not many teams can say that.
3: No, and the way that I looked at this last night is I'm thinking, okay, here's the puzzle. How are we going to... Mm-hmm. like? Just strictly from the names, if you're going to construct one game with a puzzle of pitchers, these are some pretty good pieces.
2: We both have Yachty and Wieters as the catchers, right? Correct. And then in the infield, Marp is going to be here. Young is going to be here. Mm -hmm. Edmund is going to be here. Goldie is going to be here. Cardinals gave Brad Miller a guaranteed contract, and they like him, and he's a left-handed bat off the bench, or maybe a left-handed DH if they ever need it. So uh, I I think Miller is going to be here. Uh, John Nagowski. No. Don't know you? No. No. Uh, Ron Hell Ravello.
3: See, that's that's kind of one of my maybes, because I might want to substitute him for someone else. Okay,
2: I got that. And I have him... At least at the outset, as we sit here on June 29th, I believe Ravello will be on the 30-man. Max Schrock? No. Edmundo Sosa? No. Another guy the Cardinals like, and I'm with you. I don't think he'll make the 30. And then Wonger. Yeah. So, here we go to the outfield. There and Michelle has Ravello as a, a coin flip right now. Harrison Bader? Yes. Austin Dean? No. Dylan Carlson.
3: This is where my Ravello coin flip comes in, Randy, because as much as I appreciate Ravello, I want Dylan Carlson on this team. I
2: want him on this team, too. I don't think that the Cardinals, A, want to start the clock, and it's always going to be a situation with the Cardinals where finances are going to come into play, and B, they do legitimately want to take a look at some of these other guys so we've got Dexter Fowler he's going to make it at least at the outset Tyler O'Neill will be here and the Cardinals want to take a look at him Thomas is here and they want to take a look at him and then Justin Williams who we but we already are up to 30 so we, we neither of us have him I don't if I were going to put this team together, I would go with what you have with Carlson. I don't think the Cardinals will. I think the four outfielders are going to be Bader, Fowler, O'Neill, and Thomas. And if somebody either struggles or is hurt, then of the 13 position players we have, I don't think it matters who unless it's a catcher. By the way, we've got Kisner in Springfield, too. Right. I think if anybody gets hurt, that Dylan Carlson is the guy they bring up.
3: Most likely, but, devil's advocate, if he's going to be the first guy up, and as Greg Amzinger said, he's already the best guy on the field. Say he comes to spring training 2.0, or what What do we call it, training camp?
2: Yep, summer training camp. Summer, summer camp.
3: Summer camp. If he comes to summer camp. look like the Y. Yeah, there you go. I love that. I wonder if they get, you know, snack breaks, matching match t-shirts yeah, a little bit. Anyway. Some juice boxes. Yeah, orange slices. <laughs> Amazing. But if, as Greg Amzinger said in spring training, he was the best player on the field. If in summer training camp, he is the best player on the field, and you know that you have a shortened amount of time to get this done, why wouldn't you just say, hey, forget the clock, forget all of these conversations. We are putting our best players on the field.
2: Then I think the game changes. If you're looking at all 44 of these guys, and if you're looking at the 24, 25 position players, and every time you watch, you say, wow, that guy's the best guy, then that changes the game. But if there is any way to have straws and have if they're all equal and he draws the short straw, he can't be here. And by the way, I do think that there's no way that he is on the club rather than Dexter Fowler. I think Dexter Fowler can not look good in spring training or summer camp and still make the team.
3: I agree, but I would hope that this season... More than any other season, the Cardinals do not play the contract game. That they say we are putting talent on the field, not contracts on the field.
2: They they have no choice if they if they want to win, if they if they want to be in the playoffs this year, they have no choice, no choice, but to do that. And if Mike Schill looks at this guy and the coaching staff and they go and say, "Hey, our best player is Dylan Carlson," and they're told, "No, you can't have him because of contracts," then shame on the Cardinals.
3: And the fans are going to let them hear it.
2: They should, yeah, and. Hopefully, we'll get a good gauge. And the Cardinals, hopefully, will wind up playing a couple of spring training games so that, so that we can see Carlson against other competition. But he was great in spring training. Let's touch on Cam Newton signing a one-year deal instead of based with the Patriots. Cam Newton was the MVP in 2015. He's at, from the time he was drafted in 2011 until 2016, he, 2017, he's been great. He... he But he's been beat up for the last couple of years that's one part of this and the other part michelle from my perspective is that the patriots last year didn't have players that even tom brady could elevate they they haven't addressed their issues with skill position players i don't know if newton's going to be any better at about at elevating this group than brady was
3: i don't know either because yeah that's part of the reason that brady felt frustrated and allegedly wanted out i think he had made his decision prior to that but to lose in new england and not feel like you had any help probably wasn't uh helping his cost to say but this is such a classic patriots deal one one year incentive laden deal a a former mvp and cam Newton. i think for bill belichick to have a guy like tom brady who's more of a traditional quarterback he's probably always wanted to see what he could do with a running style quarterback and if he's healthy This could be such a different look for the Patriots. But there's that caveat if. I'm also not completely sure how Cam Newton is going to fall in line with the Bill Belichick style of coaching, you know, with his font on Instagram. Cam Cam kind of does his own thing. And
2: he's his own man.
3: He's his own man. And I'm not, you know, insinuating that he'll be disrespectful to Belichick. But if the Patriot way requires him to even kind of calm himself down a little or maybe not play to a certain way that he wants to. Just if anything challenges him, I wonder how he's going to handle that.
2: The Patriots had 10 picks in the draft. I want to go back to the skill position thing. Okay. 10 picks in the draft. They took defensive players except for two tight ends, a guard, and a center. They didn't take any wide receivers. They didn't take any threats for whoever the quarterback was going to be. Now, maybe the tight ends, Devin Asiasi from UCLA and Dalton Keene from Virginia Tech, will wind up being uh, Rob Gronkowski and uh, a friendly Aaron Hernandez. Maybe those guys will wind up being great.
3: How would you like to be the one that's compared to a friendly Aaron Hernandez?
2: (laughs) I'm just saying, those guys were taken in the same draft.
3: But when you're lining guys up, this guy's the Gronk, this guy's the Hernandez. Talented
2: but not a murderer.
3: There you go. There you go. (laughs) Not living a double life.
2: But I have trouble believing maybe they can. Maybe the Patriots can do that again and come up with another Gronk and Hernandez pair by drafting two tight ends in the same draft. I'm not seeing it. I'm going to have to see it to believe it with Newton in New England. I I do think it's a great move on their part. I'm Mm -hmm. not disparaging their move. But my question is, even if he is at his best with the surrounding talent, if what he has to do on his own, is that going to get him hurt?
3: Good question. Uh, will he get the opportunity? Do you think Stidham still gets the call?
2: I would have Cam as my starter right now. I'll do respect to Jared Stidham. Cam won a Heisman Trophy at Auburn. Jared Stidham was a fourth-round pick. Cam was the first pick in the draft. Jared Stidham might wind up being a serviceable quarterback. And people are talking about, oh, Brett Belichick's done such an incredible job with quarterbacks. Well, Van Castle went, and he was pretty much... He he was just okay with the Chiefs and for the rest of his career. Brian Hoyer never did anything else. Brissett turned out to be average. Garoppolo is a, a nice quarterback. Mm-hmm. But it's not like he's Mike Martz in terms of developing quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. So maybe he'll be able to turn Cam into what he was earlier in his career. But... Uh, well, again, I'll believe it when I see it. This Michelle, I'm Randy, and this is Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, can... A couple of Cardinals redeem themselves for contracts or the way we felt about them if they have a great 60-game season. That's next on 101 ESPN.
3: Support for character and Smallman is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Everyone has a funny or painful manscaping story. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric Trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created, and they just released the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. I actually have it right here. I'm looking at it. This is a great, great machine. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents, thanks to Manscaped advanced skin save technology. And when I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. This battery will last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave and the water-resistant technology allows you to groom in the shower. And let's not forget about the charging stand, okay? Show your mower off loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is a convenient charging dock powered by USB. If you're listening to me speak right now, I want you to experience this firsthand for yourself. Trim that junk of yours, get 20% off plus free shipping with the code SMALLS, that's S-M-A-L-L-S, at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you.
0: We are right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
2: Eric Ernst on 101 ESPN. Our Air Comfort Service text line is open, 65780. And we appreciate you participating. And one of the things that Michelle and I and Tanner were talking about in our conversations about this show over the weekend is what players can either redeem themselves or make a name for themselves in the eyes of Cardinal Nation. For example, Michelle, if Dexter Fowler, who kind of had his typical year last year. Not exactly what his typical year was, but what I would reasonably expect from the guy at this stage of his career. If Dexter Fowler is able to have an on-base percentage of 410 and slug 500, so he's got a 910 OPS this year and hit in the top or the middle of the Cardinal lineup, does that redeem the contract? Does that make the contract worth it in your eyes?
3: In the eyes of fans?
2: I'm starting with you. I want with fans me? to weigh in here.
3: Um, Yeah. I don't know if it redeems it completely because I think the totality of the contract is not exactly what you wanted for the dollar figure. Okay.
2: Let me qualify this. Okay. nine ten OPS and the Cardinals are in the World Series.
3: Then, yeah. I'll go ahead and, and tip my cap to the deal and say, hey, he had uh, a bounce back year last year and then he gave you the production that you needed from him this year. But in the, fa- in the eyes of the fans, Randy, I-, I know this is later in the hour, but take yeah. it or leave it. No matter what Fowler does, he's going to be the guy in the way of Carlson. I'll
2: take that. Yeah, and and we do already have texts saying that that should be the case, that the outfield should be Carlson, Thomas, and O'Neill.
3: Yeah, I was thinking about this last night. Dexter Fowler did have a a bounce back year last Mm -hmm. year, and I still don't think Cardinals fans are pleased with Fowler because of the contract and because it seems like there's always this puzzle in the outfield, there's always these musical chairs, and despite his, his play, whether it's good or he's giving you the production that you need. He, he kind of has a permanent spot there. And I think that brings out some ire from Cardinals fans. Now compound that with the fact that you have this superstar in the making in Dylan Carlson that everyone that's laid eyes on him says he is going to be the real deal for the Cardinals and fans want to see him with everything that's gone yeah. on. Fans want to see Carlson. And so if Dexter Fowler even gives you the production that you expect from him, I still think that fans are not going to say, hey, he's redeemed himself in my eyes.
2: And by the way, Dexter Fowler has never even had a 900 OPS, let alone a 910. The the highest in his career was his first year with the Cardinals when he had the or no, he had one with the Colorado where he was 863, but 851 in 2017 he he was never going to be able to worth, be worth the money the cardinals gave him when he saw, the day he signed the contract he was a free agent there was competition for his services and he was never going to be an impact player he was a nice complimentary piece exactly but i don't think that in the eyes of cardinal fans that he could could have ever been the quality of player that would allow him to redeem himself for that contract. And that includes this year. Doesn't matter what he does. I don't think he can because I don't think Cardinal fans look at the contract and say that he could ever live up to it. Agree. Brett Cecil. See, uh, here's a guy that if he's their top left-handed reliever this year, I don't think the Cardinals will ever get their money's worth out of that contract.
3: Couldn't agree more. And I think, same thing, no matter what he does this year, fans are going to say, bad contract.
2: Okay. Now, one more. Marp, with the extension, $38 million over two years. Can Marp redeem himself if he has the same 36 home run high, highest OPS of his career year that he had two years ago?
3: I think he can, of all the people. There's a few people that we kind of talked about leading into this segment. And I think Matt Carpenter is a guy that has shown you that he can be, at least for a period of time, a game changer on your team. He can make a difference. He can be the X factor. And while I don't think that fans thought that, may- and it's always easier, you know, in mm-hmm. hindsight. But there was a lot of fans, I think, at the time that said, why are you, why are you giving him this deal? You know, is this really necessary? But... I think that if he comes out this year, he gives you the offensive production that you're looking for. I think that fans will look at him. They, I think a lot of fans want to give Marp that redeeming quality because he he's the salsa guy. He loves St. Louis. Mm-hmm. He he's the guy that what's his biggest flaw? Other than sometimes he doesn't give you the production that works he wa- too hard. He works too hard. He has a lot of qualities. I think that St. Louis really identifies and appreciates in him. And so I think if he has a bounce back year, St. Louis will say, "Hey, he's redeemed himself."
2: So two years ago, like I said, he hit thirty six home runs and had forty two doubles. If this year he has a dozen homers in a third of a season. That'd be close to 36. Dozen homers, uh, has a a dozen doubles, 24 extra base hits in 60 games, and has that same OPS that he had a couple of years ago, 897. Is that good enough? It's good enough for me.
3: Yeah. I wouldn't be angry at it.
2: Uh, Alex Reyes is a guy who's frustrated Cardinal fans simply because of the injuries. Here's my thought on Reyes. Yep. If he's healthy, he's going to be good. And... I'm going to feel really excited about Alex Reyes heading into 2021 if he just is on the team for all 60 games of 2020.
3: I think Alex Reyes is the easiest person on this entire list to call redeemable. Because no matter if he doesn't succeed, no one's going to look at Alex Reyes and say, well, some might. But I think most Cardinals fans would look at Alex Reyes and they would feel badly for him. Because he's this highly touted guy with all this talent and so many things outside of his control stopped him from blossoming into the player that we hoped that he would be. If... He comes out and he consistently pitches for you and you see glimpses of what you thought Mm -hmm. he could be, even if it's not the entire season. If you get a couple really strong outings from Alex Reyes, he's he's someone that everyone is really excited about again.
2: So basically health is redemption for him.
3: A hundred percent. Yes.
2: All right. I want to know what you feel about because I know that you're a fan of Harrison Bader. What do you expect him? What what would be? For you, a reasonable season for Harrison Bader that not beyond his capabilities.
3: You know what you are going to get from Harrison Bader in the outfield. You know mm-hmm. that defensively, locked down. I just don't want him to be a liability offensively.
2: Is Which, that fair? He, yeah, and that's what he was last year, right?
3: Well, you know, not in his defense. So are so many Cardinals players.
2: Yeah, I don't know if with summer camp and what he did in spring training, he's going to be better. In terms of the strikeouts, that was a huge issue and has been a huge issue for him is laying off the slider. But if he can get back to what he was in 2018, if he can hit 264, have a seven fifty six OPS, and just get on base. And his on base two years ago was three thirty-four. That is that would be redemption for him. Because I don't know if he's capable of more. All I'm asking for people is to do what they're capable of. And I know he's capable of that. So that's all I'm asking for. So, and I hope that he can rebound. What A couple of other players. Waino and Goldie last year. Goldie had a really underrated year. He did. And he was terrific in the second half. And Waino had a, a spectacular bounce back year. If Waino if does what he did last year, I'll be absolutely thrilled.
3: I'll be shocked if he's able to do that again. I mean, think about some of the outings that he had last year when he got no run support. And what he... I was i was really surprised with what Adam Wainwright gave the Cardinals last year. Not because you don't think he's capable, but just at some point, players hit that age where they're not able to consistently deliver. But Adam Wainwright proved it wrong. And I, I also think, as far as fans are concerned, Adam Wainwright is the guy. Everybody loves Adam Wainwright. Everyone's cheering for him. And if he comes out and has... Even uh, shades of what he gave the Cardinals last year, they're going to be thrilled.
2: He took the ball 31 times, gave the Cardinals 171 innings. He won 14 games. He had a 4.19 ERA. If he takes the ball 10 or 11 times this year with a 4.19 and gives the the Cardinals as many innings per start as he gave them last year, I think that'll be awesome. I'd be really excited about that. Me too. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And here are a couple of your texts via the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Uh, From the 217, Alex Reyes will be dominant. He's elite. That's what we'd love to see. Also from the 217, uh, Fowler wasn't signed for his glove or his bat. He was signed solely to keep him away from the Cubs and be the Cubs' energy source. Well, the Cardinals needed a center fielder at the time, too, although I do do believe that by this time they didn't think he would be their center fielder anymore. But they did take him away from the Cubs, too, and that hurt him.
3: It did, but was he really their energy source?
2: Oh, you go, we go. He was at the top of the lineup.
3: Yeah, but it's not like you removed Brian or Rizzo from, from the equation
2: that's true. And uh, this finally finally from the 314. Why is Brett Cecil still around? I don't understand. Contract, 30 and a half million dollars over 4 years, and this is the third year of that 4-year contract. So there's still or maybe he's done. Maybe it was a 3-year deal. I'll figure it out, but uh he won't he doesn't have much time left here in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. It, it's been it, it's a shame for him. He's been hurt. He's had personal issues, and it just hasn't happened for him. And some guys when they sign that big contract it just doesn't work out. And that's the way it's been. And I have to believe it's going to be for Cecil.
3: And you're going to, as an organization, miss on some guys. It's just going to happen.
2: If it's a left-handed reliever, the Cardinals are going to miss on them. It's just who they
3: are. Guarantee it right in Sharpie. (laughs) Sharpie.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, the Blues are starting up training camp soon. And last year, one of the keys to their playoff success was the St. Louis and Pat Maroon. This year in the playoffs,
0: who's going to replace that production? That's next on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the Carragher and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. We're still
4: a
2: couple of uh, weeks away from the start of Blues training camp as they get ready for the playoffs. And, Michelle, there was a great piece by Jeremy Rutherford uh, last Friday in The Athletic about Justin Falcon, about how he hopes to be better and thinks that he can be better for the Blues. And if he's going to be better, he'll come at playoff time because that's the next time the Blues will play. And I was wondering because I was thinking about uh, here. I, I was putting lines together during the weekend. That was one of my projects was putting Craig Bruby's lines together. And you think about what Pat Maroon did for the Blues last year and obviously the monster goal against Dallas, but he had all of his goals were big, three goals, four assists. They had the one against San Jose and the one in the finals. And he was such a, a huge part of what the Blues did. And I'm wondering, especially from an offensive perspective, you, you get a guy that has seven points in 26 games, who among the Blues can be that guy that replaces Patrick Maroon's production? I would think that initially at least, It'll be either Blay or Sanford that'll be on left wing when you have Thomas at right wing and uh, Tyler Bozak at center. But I'm not talking about just that one guy on that line. I'm talking about uh, if you're going to get as many points as you had last year in the playoffs, who are the guys that are going to step up?
3: Well, you mentioned one of them for me and Sammy Blay. You saw what he could give you last year in the postseason, that physicality that he has. And... He was injured for a big stretch this year, and if if he wasn't, I would be very interested to see what his numbers mm-hmm. would be. Plus, he's got that contract, Randy. He's going to come out hungry and ready to cement himself as a presence on this Blues team. I think a lot of those young guys actually have an opportunity here to be that guy to step up for Maroon. If it's not Blay Thomas, perhaps Vince Dunn could give you a yep. different look. Um, now, does this include Vlad- do we include Vladimir Tarasenko in this equation?
2: I hope that Vladdy can just give the same production that he gave last year in the playoffs. That might be another place where. Because he's an unknown. The Blues might need to get production from elsewhere to get hit back to where he was last year, too. I hope that he can be what he was last year in the playoffs.
3: He was great last year in the playoffs, but I don't wonder if this year... This postseason is the year we see a superstar in Vladimir Tarasenko. We know that he is capable. The Blues is not a one-star team. They are mm-hmm. a complete team from top to bottom. Every guy on the ice does their part, and that's what makes this team so great and so successful because they don't rely on just one person. But you here you have a Vladimir Tarasenko who, one of the knocks about Vladdy Prior to this was maybe he is a little bit disengaged or he, or mentally is he there on the ice? How do you get him to that next level consistently? Well, He's coming off of an injury, he's completely rested, and he's hungry and ready to go. And a hungry Vladimir Tarasenko is a really scary Mm -hmm. thing. And I don't wonder if when we come out and he knows that all eyes are on him, and he's had all this time off the ice to sit there and think about his career and think about how much he wants to play hockey, if we don't see him absolutely unleashed.
2: And last year, 26 playoff games, 11 goals, 6 assists. He was... Pretty dominant last year, so hopefully he can be what he was. Let me give you one other name for a guy. If, you, if you're talking about replacing the production of Patrick Maroon, how about the guy on the other side of that line? How about Robert Thomas stepping up to become a playoff superstar?
3: Robert Thomas is really good, and I think a lot of people in St. Louis know that, but to put it on a playoff stage again and see what he can do, that wouldn't surprise me at all.
2: Last year in the playoffs, Thomas was, uh, let me get down to this, uh, he had uh, a goal and five assists. I wouldn't be surprised if he were a 6-7 goal guy this year in the playoffs. He's just that sort. Uh, and I, th- I do think in terms of that production, Justin Falk he can be an offensive defenseman. I don't know how many minutes he'll get. But if he's playing with Petro and he's getting some power play minutes, I think he's a guy that can give you a couple of goals, maybe two or three goals, and he can definitely be an assist guy. They got him because of his shot. He's a guy that could make a difference in the playoffs.
3: Do you think if Falk is that guy that steps up and makes a difference in the playoffs that playoff set, finally, you know, he was had, did have kind of a disjointed year with the Blues, hasn't lived up to expectations. He admitted that himself in the mm-hmm. Jeremy Rutherford piece. Randy, if he steps up and is the difference maker in the postseason and we all say, wow, Justin Falk is here to stay, does that affect the way the Blues look at the Petro deal?
2: I don't think so. I think that that's pretty well already said. I think that's all about money now. I I don't think that... Uh, let me put it this way. I think they they believe their expectations of Falk are reasonable, and they want him to be that all-star quality guy mm-hmm. that he was in Carolina. I, I don't think that what he does in the playoffs will change the way they view Petrangelo. By the way, here are my lines.
3: Okay, yeah, let's hear them.
2: I've got uh, Shen between uh, Schwartzy and Vladdy.
3: Okay, love it.
2: And that's we, we know that line. Yep, I, and this is maintaining chemistry. This is what I want to do. I have... O'Reilly with Perron, obviously, and I've got Blay on that line. Okay. So I've got Sanford replacing Maroon on left wing with Thomas and Bozak. And then I've got Sonny between, uh, Steen and Barbashev. And then you have McKeckern, you have De La Rose, you have Kairou, you have Brower, you have, uh, Clem Coston as depth on the forward line. And then on defense, I have Trangelo and Falk together. Okay. I have Scandela and Pareco together. And then I'm mixing and matching Dunn, Gunnarsson, and Bortuza with the other guys, just providing depth.
3: I can't wait till they start. And then
2: obviously, number 50 is your goalie.
3: There you go. He's not nervous. Not at all. But as you're going through that, what about Oscar Sunquest?
2: He, he's a guy that you expect to do things now, don't you? Yes. I, and I, I was really critical of him a couple of years ago. I expect him to be a really good player for the Blues. So do I. And I do think, depending on who they play, for example, if they get into a series against Edmonton that's a fast team but not a particularly large team, I could see Kairou getting minutes for the Blues. And maybe being a guy that scores a couple of goals. Kind of... Uh, Hopefully, a better version of what Fabry was last year in the playoffs. Not a big guy, but a guy with speed and uh, a guy that can do some damage to an, uh, uh, an opponent. But if you're going to be playing against another big team like the Blues are, big if you're going to be playing physical games, he's going to take a punishment, and you don't want that.
3: No. And now that you've got the line set up, Randy, send him over to Chief. We're ready to go.
2: I think he knows. I, we'll see this on the opener of the first Best of Seven series, whatever that... Team is who and how ridiculous is it? I guess it's not ridiculous. It's the NHL. They're marketing, but the teams that have the opportunity to get the first pick in the draft. Oh yeah. Don't know if you saw the uh, the draft lottery over the weekend, but the team X had a twelve and a half percent chance to get the top overall pick, and team X got it. So the t- they're going to have to have a second lottery to determine who's going to have the top pick in the draft. It will come from. Among the Coyotes, the Flames, who had the best record in the West last year, Carolina, the Blackhawks, Columbus, Edmonton, they're in the playoffs, they already have uh, the the best player in the game, not McKinnon, but uh, Connor McDavid, Uh, Florida, uh, Minnesota, Montreal, the Islanders, the Rangers... Nashville, who won the President's Cup trophy a couple of years ago, and they're still talented. Pittsburgh, who already still has Crosby and Malkin. Toronto, who's playing paying four forwards $10 million a year, and, and they have incredible talent up front. Vancouver and Winnipeg. So there's a very strong chance that a really good team is going to wind up with the number one pick in the draft.
3: Isn't that, to your point, so NHL that they thought, hey, we'll throw Team X in there as kind of a PR thing, but the likelihood of it happening is so low that it's going to work out in our favor, and then it causes more of a chaos situation?
2: And the Red Wings were far and away, and we don't mind this, far and away the worst team in the league this year. They had an 18.5% chance to get the number one pick, and they're going to get the number four pick. That's the lowest they could have fallen.
3: Is your hatred for the Red Wings still as strong?
2: Uh, Not the current Red Wings, but the Red Wings fans and the people that uh, were part of that dynasty, yeah. I still... Maltby and Draper and McCarty and those bozos, yeah. Iserman. (sighs) The worst.
3: Do you hate the Red Wings more than the Blackhawks?
2: I did. You did? Yeah. In terms of the rivalry, the Red Wings were the hockey team that I've hated the most in my life. Wow. More than the Blackhawks. More than any other team. I guess
3: they tortured you for a long time. For a
2: long time.
3: See, for me, it nothing will ever make me hate the Blackhawks more. I will think wakey-wakey every time I see that uh-huh. team from now until the end of time.
2: Yeah, that's reasonable. Brad I can Seabrook. see that. Ugh. Yeah. The other thing was they, uh, the Red Wings, they took our guys and threw it in our face. They, they win championships with Hull and Shanahan and Duchesne and... Mm. And then they bring Cujo in there, and they think they're going to win with him. Come on. Come on, man. Give us a break. <laughs> we so, finally got our break.
3: I was going to say, the lo- the road was long and painful, Randy, but we arrived at happiness.
2: We sure did. Next up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service, text line 65780. Take it or leave it. Coming your way with Character and
0: Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Take it or leave it give us your feedback now by texting 65780 it's take it or leave it with Carricker and smallman on 101 espn
2: we appreciate your text to the air comfort service text line 65780 michelle and randy and our producer tanner Hendrickson has our take it or leave it questions tanner take it away
5: All right, guys, take it or leave it from the text line 636. The Las Vegas Raiders make the NFL playoffs in their first year in Vegas.
2: I'm going to leave that because I think that they are at best the third best team in their division. I think the Chargers are better and obviously the Chiefs are better.
3: Yeah, I'm going to leave it as well. Do you have any concerns, well, not concerns, but do you think that it's going to be difficult for a team to move to Vegas and be the toast of the town? And I know partying is different now because of the pandemic, but it's going to be really interesting to see how players adjust to living in Vegas. Yeah,
2: they have such a, now granted, it's a transient population, but they have built a population base there. The biggest difficulty I see is competing with the Knights and trying to, to be big. And I think that just like with the Golden Knights, the Raiders are going to draw a lot of fans from the visiting team. I think that'll probably be, in terms of uh, building a a home, a hardcore fan base, that'll probably be the hardest thing for them.
5: Take it or leave it. We mentioned Alex Reyes earlier in the show. He will make 15 appearances for the Cardinals in the 2020 season.
2: It's every fourth game. I'm going to take it.
3: I like your optimism. I'm going to leave it.
2: He might start. Oh, yeah, but I, I'm going to take it. I think he'll be in the bullpen, and I'm going to uh, I'm going to say that he'll pitch in winning games. That he'll pitch in the seventh,
3: eighth, or ninth. God, wouldn't you love that? It'd be awesome. It would be so awesome. It his if he has success early, then I think yes. If it takes him a while to settle in, I think they're going to be much more careful with him.
2: I think he's John Brebbia. Oh. I think he, he, he fills that brevia role.
3: Take it or leave
5: it. Missouri currently has a top 40 in the nation class for the 2021 season. Of course, it's still early recruiting for the 2021 season. Take it or leave it. Missouri will maintain that top 40 class, be their first one since 2015 under head coach Gary Pinkle.
2: Got to take it with the drink, don't you?
3: I was going to say I'm going to take it. He's been doing amazing. Yeah, people love him. They love him in his first time out. So, and we always talk about putting it in the universe. I want him to have that success. So I'm going to continue to say, yeah, he's going to do it. Continue
2: to do it. Yeah, Tanner, fifth in the SEC right now. Is that correct? Yep, fifth in the SEC. Really impressive because normally they're in in the bottom three of the SEC.
3: Imagine three years from now. If, oh. if they get it done on the field and he's already having su- success like this recruiting, what it could look like.
2: Where does he go in? Texas?
3: <laughs> you think Texas? I was thinking Florida State because they can't seem Is to that, get it right.
2: Yeah, Florida State might be one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here come the texts. <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, how long do you think it takes, really? If he has success, three years, four years?
2: Before one of the Blue Bloods comes after yeah, him? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to say three. Yeah, it'll be like Norvell, who just went to Florida State. Yeah. Uh, Lake Norvell at Memphis. He's 36. He'll be he would 39-40 at that point. And Texas, uh, they might look for a coach earlier than that. Maybe Nick Saban retires at the age of 70 or 71.
3: Oh, but he wouldn't get that job.
2: Why not? He just led uh, Mizzou to the SEC East Championship against Alabama.
3: Oh, okay. We're going there. Well,
2: Gary Pinkle did it, right? Yeah. Twice?
3: Yeah. <laughs> But don't you okay, if Nick's take it or leave it. If Nick Saban leaves Alabama, we'll see a big name coach from a big name program jump ship to take that job. Totally take it. An Alabama grad. Dabo. That's exactly who I was yep. thinking. Yep.
5: All right, take it or leave it from the three one four. We will see Cam Newton start as the backup this season.
2: Start the season as the backup? Yep. I'm gonna leave that. He's their starter. Cam? Yeah. Darren Stidham's not beating him out. Brian Hoyer's not beating him out, right?
3: I don't know if that's Stidham. Randy, Belichick loves Stidham. They're okay with Tom Brady leaving because of the the Belichick confidence in Stidham.
2: They would not have signed Cam Newton if they loved Stidham for this year that much.
3: Would you feel better having Stidham go out and if he gets hurt or fails, you have Cam Newton coming in, or if Cam Newton goes out and he gets hurt or fails, having Stidham come in?
2: I'm going to take my chances with Cam, running for 1,000 yards and 15 touchdowns.
3: I think Cam's on a one-year deal, and you need to know what you have in Jared Stidham moving forward. So if I'm Belichick, I'm going out there with Stidham. If he doesn't impress, then I'm going with Cam Newton. Right.
5: Take it or leave it, since Mike Schilt has managed a shorter season before in 2009 with the Johnson City Cardinals, it gives the Cardinals an advantage heading into the 2020 season.
3: I'm going to take it. I think Mike Schilt, the way he manages tactically and the way he manages personalities with players already gives him an, an advantage. But. He can look to the players and say, hey, I have managed in a shortened season. This is what you can expect. And players already implicitly listen to him anyway. So I think that's just another reason to feel more confident that Mike Schilt is a manager of the Cardinals.
4: The
2: short seasons, the split seasons, those are sprints. And not many managers in Major League Baseball right now have had to manage in a sprint. So, yes, I'm going to say that will work to the Cardinals' advantage.
5: And just to add on to that. Pittsburgh's manager is the only one in the NL Central that has experience in short season, but I don't think Pittsburgh has an advantage in a 60-game season. I so. don't
2: think so either. You're right. All
5: right, take it or leave it. ESPN announced that LeBron James' the decision special 10 years ago was a fan fan's idea, not LeBron's. Take it or leave it. We'll never see another specially televised event where a player announces where he is entering
3: or where he is choosing to go in free agents.
2: I'll take that. We'll never see that again. It caused people to burn his jersey.
3: I'm leaving it wholeheartedly because just like LeBron saying I'm taking my talents to South Beach was a nod to Kobe when Kobe announced that he was foregoing college and going straight from the high school high school to the NBA. There's some kid that is going to grow up idolizing LeBron that is going to want to do their own decision and they're going to want this spotlight and they're going to want to have their ego tapped into and they're going to say I'm going to do the decision like LeBron. But... Are we ever because if LeBron didn't have the Cleveland component of that, that hometown, everyone's going to be mad at you because you left your hometown that hadn't won element to it, it would have been a great, great special. It would have been here's this once in a generation talent deciding which team he's going to go elevate.
2: No, that can you imagine if the Cardinals didn't know? that Albert Pujols was going to leave. And he went on national TV and said, I'm taking my talents to Anaheim. Can you imagine how we would have felt about that if that's the way we learned?
3: Do you think it was any... It would be any more painful than him coming out and saying i'm not going because of the money when it's clearly because of the money and saying i felt oh. disrespected either way the breakup is painful and you have to think about it not from the athlete's perspective they want to have everyone stop and watch what they're doing they
2: do but they don't want to have everybody turn their back on them and hate them and that's what lebron did he embarrassed an entire community and figuratively turned his back on them. Now, granted, it was his hometown. But any big free agent, any anybody of that stature is going to have built up a cachet in a community where they think, that community thinks, that guy's ours. Anybody who can get that sort of national TV exposure is going to be tied to a city.
3: You don't think you could see Zion doing this down the road?
2: I would be stunned if, if Zion would do that.
3: I know that he knows the, play, the media playbook very well, but... I'm just saying, the, the longer, I'm just saying, Randy, the longer that you're in, in the NBA and the brighter that light shines on you and the more you want to be the guy, if ESPN, the biggest sports network in the world, comes to you and they say, hey, we have this idea, just like LeBron, but we're going to make it bigger. We're tying you to charity so you're going to look great. We're going to make it this whole thing. It's going to dominate this month on the sports calendar. What do you think? You... Also, we're probably going to pay you. Think about the advertising dollars that you're going to get. Do you think that they say no?
2: I I would think that a player of that stature that wanted to get out probably is going to force a trade. He's going to go the AD route. But if he, if he does come up to free agency, A... LeBron had to buy the time. Did you read the story? Uh, The story is awesome. If you've seen it at ESPN.com about a guy who uh, wrote into Bill Simmons' mailbag and said, hey, why not do this like a uh, high school player picking their college? And Bill Simmons went to ESPN and he went to uh, LeBron's people with it and it evolved from there. And that's how it became the decision. It was the the idea of a a fan in Columbus, Ohio. Pretty awesome. And read the piece if you haven't yet at ESPN.com. But I just can't imagine that a player or a player's agents would want to put him in that sort of a spotlight where everybody except for Miami fans hated LeBron. I think with that knowledge that I don't think that an agent would do
3: that. Are you surprised that it took really until now for us to know that it was a fan that wrote it in? Me too, because I think it makes it that much better of a story.
2: Yeah, it's great, isn't it? Really? it's And uh, the, the power at the time... In 2010, Bill Simmons was pretty remarkable. I don't know if he still has that sort of juice now. Do you think he does?
3: Well, I mean, he just sold the ringer to Spotify and is still a pretty prominent player in the sports media circles. Yeah,
2: so maybe, maybe he could pull off something like that. But connect to connect those two, get that mailbag, go to Maverick Carter and Leon Rose, who was LeBron's agent at the time, and then have the ties to ESPN and say, hey, we should do this. Now, he got out of it at that point, and then Jim Gray and some other people got involved. But that's how it all started. Pretty cool. I, I Until actually I watched last night, I didn't have as big a problem with the decision as I do now, because the the fact that he did buy time that it was I, I knew it was all about LeBron, but I thought it was somebody trying to make it all about LeBron. It was LeBron's people making it all about LeBron rather than some outside force.
3: I think from a pragmatic from my head, you know two things you are heading your heart from my the head standpoint I look at it as hey. Charities were involved. It's not that big of a deal. The way I view Cleveland, especially at that time when they hadn't won, and this was their product, this was their guy, I always bring it back to St. Louis. If that would have happened to us, a great sports town that lives, eats, breathes, dies by their sports, if our guy, our homegrown superstar, went on national television to diss us like that. I would, I've never burned a jersey, but I would be tempted to. I would have been enraged. And I know that that wasn't his intent to diss Cleveland in the way that he did, but I think he should have thought a little bit more about mm-hmm. how that was going to be received in Cleveland.
2: That's Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker Tanner. Thank you very much. And that is Teoli on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we've got our fresh take of the day. It's coming your way on Carricker and Smallman.
0: We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> they don't hide their feelings, which might hurt yours. Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Character and Smallman's Fresh Take, powered by Schnooks. Eat good to feel great at Schnooks on 101 ESPN. Well, here
2: we are, the week of summer camp for the Cardinals. And they were listening to us. They always do. Always. And they said we can't call it spring training, too, because it's summer. So 2020 Busch Stadium summer camp roster is out for the Cardinals. They will have their first workout on Friday. And then presumably our first game, Major League game, that we would see would be the 23rd or the 24th of July. And the Cardinals, even with 44 players in camp and... A roster projected to be at 30 to start the season are going to have some tough choices to make. They're going to have more players that are capable of being on this team in camp than they'll be able to keep.
3: Randy, last segment we talked about LeBron's the decision. I feel like Dylan Carlson, will he be on this team is our current version of the decision.
2: It is. And Granted, he does have to show some things. But what he showed in spring training, what he's done in the minors, he's one of the top prospects in all of baseball. There's no doubt that eventually he's going to be here. But we also know that ultimately long-term finances come into play for the Cardinals. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be about 2020 with him. It's going to be about 2024 and 2025 and their ability to keep him here and the, the length of time it'll take before he gets to arbitration. Although we hate that as fans. The Cardinals do run a business. and They've always run a business. And that's the one reason that I could see if he performs well in summer camp that they would not bring him up immediately. Because if you play a season this year, you get the service time for it. Mm -hmm. And it's 2.7 games. Each game is worth 2.7 games. So he, if he came up and was here on opening day would give the cardinals two months but it would be worth a year of service time for him
3: i understand that the cardinals are a business but i would also like to think that is the business of winning And I don't know why you would value this season less than any other season. I know you have a different schedule. I know you have a different look. But you're still trying to win a World Series, are you not?
2: You are. And here's another point to be made. You didn't have fans in the stands last year. You aren't going to have fans in the stands this year. But you're going to have a lot of television viewers if you're trying to sell tickets for 2021 don't you want to build the excitement of 2021 with your most marketable young athlete
3: without a doubt And we know that we don't have a lot of time left with Adam Wainwright. Who knows how long Yachty is going to be around. While Paul Goldschmidt is certainly a great piece for the Cardinals, he's not a superstar. He's not the face of this franchise. Dylan Carlson is the guy that everyone is projecting to be the face of the franchise. To eventually ascend into that role. So if we can't have fans in the stands this year, to your point, looking down the road, what is going to make... Cardinals fans other than the fact that they love baseball and that they want to cheer on their team is there any one person that would really make you want to buy a ticket in 2021
2: Carlson would that'd be the one that's it yeah
3: that's it. And you're right.
2: You're, you're you're 100% right about that. Now, another thing the Cardinals might be looking at is the resurgence of COVID. We're still in wave one of COVID-19, but it seems to be worse now than it's been at any time during the course of the pandemic. And with that as a backdrop, Buster only was asked on Dari and Mel, what the percentage is of the baseball, of Major League Baseball starting and finishing this season? Zero percent.
6: Absolutely zero percent based on what I'm hearing. How confident are you that this season gets started with actual games? I would put that at five percent. I think that they're going to at least try in the next couple weeks, but I, especially in the face of these, uh, you know, spiking numbers, it wouldn't surprise me if it derails quickly.
3: Zero percent,
2: and
6: then
2: five percent. Yeah. And wow. The, the spiking numbers are alarming, but these guys are going to be in their own little bubble. We hope. They're we responsible hope. enough to stay in the bubble. They're going to be like the NBA or the NHL where they're going to be in a pod and there's going to be a, a, a group of people surrounding them where they're going to be by themselves. They're going to be at their home ballparks. They're going to be at their homes. And there is a very good chance that they're going to be out going out to grocery stores or maybe even restaurants and contracting the virus. And I have to believe that's why Buster Olney is saying what he's
3: saying. Man, that just bummed me out big time. We're getting so excited. We we can literally see the date on the calendar Mm -hmm. this week where it's happening, where it's coming back. To think that it could get derailed so quickly?
2: Well, Buster's giving his opinion there. Sure. Here's one thing that we have to look at is we thought that when Rudy Gobert tested positive that it was kind of the end of the world. And oh my God, what's going to happen now? Everybody's going to be infected. Now the NBA has 13 players test positive and they say, well, we'll move forward. The the perception of what the virus is has changed in two months, could change again in a month. But even though more young people are contracting it and we can't dismiss that, that a lot of people between the ages of 20 and 40 are contracting and uh, not dealing with it particularly well, it still is a virus that younger people are able to work through to this point. So hopefully there won't be anything tragic that will happen to Major League Baseball.
3: I certainly hope not, but we know that this virus travels quickly. So hopefully, it's not a situation where a player gets it and then it, you know, rifles through the clubhouse and we see half the roster out two weeks quarantined because of COVID.
2: And baseball does have things in place to provide them with the ability to go get players and and build a team, even if they do literally lose half of their Mm -hmm. players. And Nashville, the Nashville Sounds home ballpark, is going to hold a camp for former minor leaguers that have been cut. There were a thousand minor leaguers that got cut and they're going to have a group of players there. So, for example, if let's just pick a, a random team, the Minnesota Twins. Three catchers contract COVID. They'll be able to go to Nashville and say, okay, well, you got a catcher for us. And Nashville will say, yeah, we got this guy. And they'll have to pay a price, but then they'll have a catcher in place. So uh, there will be players available, and there are situations available for teams that do run into that problem.
3: Not an ideal solution, no. but a solution nonetheless. And,
2: and something they've clearly thought about. Yeah. That is today's uh, fresh take here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to head into the Blues booth. The voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, is next on 101 ESPN.
0: We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. This is Character and Smallman. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues Booth. The Blues Booth is brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. When it's time for new flooring in your home, real wood provides the best long-term value. Boardwalk has great floors for every home. Visit our three area showrooms and online at boardwalkhardwood.com.
2: Chris and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Great to have you with us, and always great to go into the Blues booth via the Brown and Kruppen Celebrity Line and visit with our friend, the voice of the Blues, here on 101 ESPN, Chris Kerber. Kerbs, how was your weekend?
4: Really, it was good. Uh, had a good time with some neighbors. Uh, kept it uh, calm and easy and uh, just getting into another week. So it was good. How about you?
2: Everything went well. I was still missing sports. It was interesting. We just heard Buster Olney saying that there was a 0% chance of baseball starting and finishing a 2020 season. Zero is what he gave it. ESPN's Buster Olney. What about hockey from your perspective? Do you have concerns about hockey being able to start and to finish?
4: Uh, I do, but I have uh, they're less than than I would think if I looked at the baseball situation, and the only reason is is I, I do believe they're going to try to control as best they can with these bubble situations. Um, but again, Randy, and, and we've talked about this quite a lot. It it just comes down to, again, in my opinion, how responsible the participants involved in the games, and I say that not just including the players because we got to be talking about coaches and training staff and others that are involved how disciplined they are in this process. And I think the only way you're going to be able to do it is you have to treat, I mean, you have to take these quarantines very, very seriously. Um, so I, I think if that commitment's there, these sports can do it. But, you know, And then you're just, look, you're going to get, as we've seen in the PGE Tour and some of these other sports already, you're going to get positive tests when you're testing two, three, four times a week, and as we're finding out. The vast majority of these tests, uh, and, and the, the people testing positive appear to be asymptomatic. And so you're just going to have to set up whatever plan it is that's going to allow these teams to have enough players to get through some of this. And, and, and I think, I mean, I think there's reason to be positive for it. I could understand the skepticism in baseball because, I mean, you're leaving a lot to chance the way they're doing it, but we'll just have to wait and see how it plays out.
3: Speaking of positive curbs, we're hoping that we get to see the Blues in action, and I want to bring you in into Randy and I's Blues conversation of the day. Who do you think on this team can replace Pat Maroon's playoff production when the Blues start things back up?
4: Uh, well, that's a good question, Yet I, I think, you know, the, the first guy that really should take that role is, should be Zach Sanford. He, he can get in with the size. He can get in, and, and if he can get along the boards and control the puck, and that. It, that's really the key. It's not even, you're going to have to chip in, you know, with uh, with a few goals here and there, you know, without a doubt. Yeah, but what Pat Maroon brought was kind of the size and that ability to hold on to that puck down low, which allowed the rest of the team game to develop, you know, from from the goal line out. And, and I thought that that was such a critical part. So for me, I think the two guys that are going to have to uh, kind of fill in that gap is going to be uh, Zach Sanford and Sammy Blay. Blake can fly in. He, he's shown the propensity to hit. Zach Sanford has got the ability to hold on to that puck, and, and we're going to need to see that.
2: And obviously, having the experience of winning the Stanley Cup benefits this team. I don't know, Curbs, if this group has the personality of Pat Maroon to escape by the, the Bruins bench and say, you're blanked. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if there's another guy like that.
4: No, I, I don't <laughs> think there is, uh, and we're not going to throw Steve Ott out there to do it. So, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's not, but that, that's one of the great things about, you know, Pat's personality that, that made him so good. It, actually, and, and I listen, to me, Pat Maroon is one of the reasons that I think the Tampa Bay Lightning could win the Stanley Cup this year, Agreed. so uh, we'll, you know, we'll have to see how that all plays out, but somebody is going to have to step up and fill those kind of roles, and it doesn't have to be done in the exact same way that Pat Maroon did it, so they're going to have to do it within their own personality of how things work, but but there's opportunities, and we'll see if somebody can do it.
2: Could you envision, just from uh, an on ice production standpoint, could you envision Robert Thomas being that guy? He had one goal last year in the playoffs. Could you see him stepping up and being a guy who is like a ten point playoff guy?
4: Oh, 100 Abso- percent, absolutely, you can. Uh, especially playing in the middle, especially you know with the confidence that he had this year. And that's listen, that's the development of things. I, I've often wondered in sports. Maybe it's the more immediate nature of what people do today, but I've often wondered in sports, like why? I mean, we almost expect young kids to come in or young players to come in and, and become Hall of Famers and play at a Hall of Fame level, rather than build to it. And by no means am I saying we're looking at a future Hall of Famer; that, that's yet to be determined. But you know, if you just look at the continued growth and where he is on that learning curve, I don't think there's any reason to think that he couldn't come out of these playoffs with ten or more points.
3: Curbs, earlier in the show, Randy was giving out some lines that he had written out over the weekend. Do you think Craig Bruby will try to shake anything up, or do you think familiarity is key heading into this situation?
4: I think because, well, if he feels the need to shake it up, he will, but there's there's no need to do that right now. I I think one of the keys is just going to be, as you said, the familiarity part, because you're not going to have a whole lot of time. You know, to, to get things going. And so, if you if you just keep some guys that you know have had success together once these games start, and as they do get to that point, you're able to find some early success. You've got a better chance. And you want to be rolling early, obviously, because there's no, I mean, the playoffs start essentially right away. So, um, I think you go with what you know has worked. And unless for some reason it proves to be otherwise, um, there'd be no reason to change it. Not just the forward lines, but. For example, I mean, I wouldn't expect anybody but Marco Scandella to be playing with Colton Pareko right off the bat. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would expect to see a, a, a Vince Dunn and a, a Carl Gunnarsson potentially rotating with Alex Petrangelo. You know, I look at Justin Falk to get some time with Petrangelo. Like it, it look, it, it's what worked for him, and, and they were the top team in the Western Conference when the pause hit, so I don't see any reason why you wouldn't go back to a lot of that.
2: The Voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber on 101 ESPN. He's going to be hosting the Fast Lane on Friday afternoon. And, Kerbs, from what I can glean from the Fast Lane, the primary goal that you have is to just take as many shots as, at the Riz show as you can. That's what they do now.
4: <laughs> yeah, well, see, but the problem is is I'm on the Riz show every single Wednesday morning. So, you know, I can't, I can't take shots at my teammates. So I'm going to have to find a way. To maneuver those waters very carefully.
2: We're Team Morning here. We're mm-hmm. hashtag Team Morning, and we know that. Hey, we're at the same station as the Fast Lane, and but they never text us. We hear from the Ridge Show, and they come down the hall and they say hi. So, we're hashtag Team Morning. So, there's no problem at all if you're with us and and the Ridge Show. That's a good thing.
4: I mean, I mean, really, what what else do you have? I mean, we I know we've got I know we've got some athletes and some other stuffs going on 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 the Ridge Show. I know Brad was an athlete. I'm not sure what the Uh, reasoning is for the other two. So we'll, you know what, I mean, people have to be careful when they pick sides. Somebody could snap up and uh, and surprise you, you know, so on Friday, I'm just going to manage through that very, very carefully and then um, uh, see what happens the following week.
2: (laughs) Kerb's always great to talk to you. Thank you very much. Have a great week yourself, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, you
4: guys. Have a good morning. See you
2: later. That is the Voice of the Blues. Chris Kerber joins us every Monday morning here on 101 ESPN. Next up, we have a new fighter or did I lose? I, I lost on Friday, didn't I? I lost on Friday. So we have a new fight, uh, no, the same fighter for the fight here on 101
0: ESPN. We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. In the red corner, the challenger. Average Joe! listener and in the blue corner fighting out of the mean streets of creve core
5: the undisputed king of morning
0: drive ladies and gentlemen please welcome randy carricker
3: Welcome back to Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN 832, which means it's time for the fight. Look at that new open. So fancy. I am hyped and ready to fight. We have a returning fighter today. And Tanner, please tell us what we will be fighting for today.
5: Well, since we have a returning winner, today's prize will be eligible for our listeners to win via our online stream at 101ESPN.com. It's a gift card to Fox Sports Midwest Live reopening soon at Ballpark Village, and we want to get you stocked up to be ready when they do.
3: Sounds great. And we have Jonathan joining us again today. Good morning, Jonathan. How was your weekend?
4: It was great. How was yours?
3: You know what? It was great, too. A little hot yesterday, but I'd rather be hot than cold, you know?
4: We take that.
3: We will take that. All right, Jonathan, you ready to go? You ready to try and defeat Randy for the second time? Let's go. Let's go, Jonathan. All right, question number one. On this date in history in 1984, Pete Rose broke Carl Yastrzemski's most games played record of 3,309. What active Major League Baseball player has appeared in the most games? Is it Albert Pujols, Miguel Cabrera, or Robinson Cano?
5: Albert All right, today is Kawhi Leonard's 29th birthday. Who was Kawhi Leonard drafted by in 2011? Was it the San Antonio Spurs, Toronto Raptors,
3: or the Indiana Pacers? The Spurs. Jonathan, when was the last time that a Cardinals pitcher threw a no-hitter? 2013, 1999,
4: or 2001? Uh, these are all trap questions. <laughs> uh, one more time.
3: 2013,
5: 1999, 2001. 2013. And the last one here, what St. Louis Blues defenseman had the most points in last year's playoff run? Was it Colton Pareko, Alex Petrangelo, or Joel Edmondson?
4: Uh, Let's go with the captain. If I'm going down, I'm going down swinging.
3: You know what? I appreciate that. That's a good call. (laughs) Oh, Randy is here. He popped right in.
1: Oh well,
3: wow. we lost <laughs> <less>. <laughs> he is he is sprightly this morning. Yeah. Randy, say hello again to Jonathan, our returning fighter.
2: Jonathan, welcome back. Great to have you with us, and uh, hope you had a good weekend. I did, Randy. How was yours? This was great. Thank you. Thank you.
3: All right, Randy. Question number one: hmm? On this date in history, in 1984, Pete Rose broke Carl Yastrzemski's most games played record of 3,309. What active Major League Baseball player has appeared in the most games?
2: Oh, this is a good one. Um, right off the top of my head, I would think that Albert is right there. Let's see. Um, A's don't have anybody old. Angels, A's. E-Tro's not active anymore. Bears, Rangers. Astros don't have anybody that old. I'm thinking of old guys. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Um, let's see you
3: thought process.
2: Yeah. There's not really anybody... You don't have any exceptionally old guys in the Central. Miguel Cabrera would not be there with Pujols. Um, and then in the East, Yankees, Red Sox, Orioles, no way, or Jays, Rays. Uh, and then in the National League, Dodgers, Padres, Giants, uh, Rockies, D-backs, Cup. Mm-hmm. Yachty wouldn't have as many as Albert Albert's, Although he didn't kind of miss a season I still, Yachty's missed time too um, So Cards, Cubs, Reds Rivers, And then in the East Nationals don't really have anybody that old that's, I'm trying to think of somebody else that's close to 40 years old There aren't many of those guys around anymore And certainly not playing on a regular basis So I'm, I'll go with Albert
5: Okay All right, Randy, it's Kawhi Leonard's 29th birthday today. Mm -hmm. Who was Kawhi Leonard drafted by in 2011? Pacers.
3: Randy, when was the last time that a Cardinals pitcher threw a no-hitter?
2: I guess it's Bud Smith in 01 against the Padres.
5: All right, last one here, Randy. What St. Louis Blues defenseman had the most points in last year's playoff run? Alex Petrangelo.
0: We've got a winner. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. We have a winner. And still champion, Randy <laughs> Carragher. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs.
3: Sorry, Jonathan, I was pulling for you, but Randy beat you 4-2. to two. Let's run through the answers here. Albert Pujols is the Major League Baseball player who has appeared in the most games, 22nd all-time, 2,823 games. Kawhi Leonard was... Drafted in 2011 by the Pacers, he was the 15th overall pick traded that night to San Antonio for George Hill. The last time a Cardinals pitcher threw a no-hitter was 2001. It was Bud Smith versus the Padres. That'll four, get
2: you traded. Four to nothing. <laughs> for, for Scott Rowland, though.
3: Hey, I'll take it. And Alex Petrangelo was the Blues defenseman with the most points in last year's playoffs. He had 19 points, third most on the team. Jonathan, thank you for playing.
2: Thank you very much. Yeah, have a good week. You too. Appreciate it. Jonathan with us on 101 ESPN, and it is 838. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. See a lot of people walking around the halls. I, I don't know if today is a bigger day for r- 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 people coming back into 101 ESPN and the Hubbard Broadcasting, but a lot of people walking around. That's a good thing.
3: I have a theory. Mm-hmm. Since it's a four-day weekend, I think a lot of people are getting in early, so they oh, smart. get a lot of work done because they're probably taking Thursday off, too. They're saying, hey, I'm going out of town, or I'm just relaxing for mm-hmm. a stretch with the family at the house. Maybe they have a project they need to do, but you always see on a. Uh, a shorter work week on a four-day work week people coming in early on a monday
2: yeah on friday night we did takeout from edgewild right up here in Creve core oh, nice. on all of it. it was it was really good but i walked in with my callaway mask and harold who is the bartender there and was uh providing me with uh, the takeout said man that callaway mask is badass <laughs> I said, wow thanks so, i like my callaway mask callaway did, golf mask
3: did you like it more after someone called it badass Yes, ass?
2: i do i i, I now I'm, I'm wearing it even more I, I have as you know multiple masks yeah but uh now i'm wearing this one even more yeah because I, I find it impressive now
3: that's a classic play randy whenever i wear something and i get compliments on it it makes me like it that much more
2: no doubt about it and we got blues masks uh patrick and i are kind of uh, you know you wash them and, and share them so uh Before this week is out, I will have a, maybe even tomorrow I'll go with the St. Louis Blues mask for you.
3: We need a 101 ESPN mask.
2: That would have been awesome. You know. We still can, I guess.
3: I was thinking about this last night. If we go to the stadium or to the rink at all, I know they're limiting media, but that could be the new mic flag. Having what station you're representing or what media entity you're representing on your mask.
2: We have to talk to our guy in charge of those sorts of things. That's a great idea. Let's do it. Mike Ryder is here. Mike Ryder is kind of our boss now. Yeah, he Uh, is. What do you think? Is that a good idea? Mike likes it. Okay, Okay, great. He's he's got his phone and he's sending an email as we speak.
3: Well, we shouldn't have said that out loud. We should have just done it. Because imagine if we are standing next to a player six feet, socially distanced, but our mask is just a big advertisement for our station. We're thinking. It's brilliant.
2: Yeah, it it is. And you thought of it.
3: I know, but now everyone's going to do it.
2: No, not everybody. Because... They'll forget it. We're going to remember it.
3: Yeah. And who's going to really take the time to do it? Except for us. Yeah. Because we have Mike doing it. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Mike. Because we, we would not.
2: <laughs> Coming up, we're going to head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And our friend Derek Gould, the Cardinal beat writer from the Post-Dispatch, will join us. We'll talk some some ball here on
0: 101 ESPN. We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
2: These are busy times for the Cardinal beat writer for the Post-Dispatch, Derek Gould, who's kind enough to join us on Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Derek Gould, I always enjoy talking to you. So does Michelle. It's great to have you with us. How are you
1: doing? I'm good. How are you guys?
3: Good. And, Randy, you said it's a busy time for Derek. Derek, is there ever a time that's not a busy time for you? It seems like the baseball calendar never really quits, even during a pandemic.
1: Well, yeah, this is... It's, it was interesting because people were like, oh, thank goodness we have baseball to again. And I'm like, Ben, what have we been doing for three months? I feel like I've written a lot of baseball. It's just been without games. But the stories have still been there. Um, or at least I hope so. Um, maybe maybe that's more of an indictment on the content than, than I want to admit. But uh, I hope we've been covering baseball. No,
4: you guys have been doing
1: a great job. Great job. Yeah. Um, you know, it used to be, Michelle, you make a good point. It used to be like there used to be this lull. Um, right after the winter warm-up, right? You know, you they, they have the um, the kind of two weeks, the two and a half weeks where arbitration hearings are being planned and roster is kind of set. Everybody just kind of meanders or works their way towards spring training. Um, and there's not a whole lot of transactions. There's not a lot of, like, injury updates. Um, but that has all been um, swept aside by... Recent off seasons, when there's been just such a chill in the air with the market, and so many signings have come later, that it uh, that it has swept that uh, that fortnight in January off the calendar too.
2: Derek Buster only was on ESPN Radio mm-hmm. yesterday and was asked about the uh, what he thought the percentage of uh, baseball getting the season started and finished was. He said zero percent that he doesn't think there's wow. any chance. What do you think?
1: That's a great question, Randy. Um, I am. I did not hear Buster's answer. Um, I have tremendous respect for Buster, and you know, I I, uh, I can see where he's coming from. You know, one of the things is they're gonna they're gonna be testing eighteen hundred plus players here in the next couple of weeks, as they all report. Um, you know, that testing was going on at Bush, um, and just talking with some of the players, you know, you increase the number of tests you mathematically are likely to increase the number of positive tests, whether um, that's for the active virus or they're also going through the antibody test. So um, how baseball responds to that uptick, how proactive they are with isolation. I mean, this, I think, I think it's a very fragile plan that they have. It can go wrong in far more ways than it can go right. Um, But I've also taken some time to talk to experts here in town, Um, infectious disease experts, or Dr. Alexander Garza, who's who's leading the St. Louis Task Force, got a chance to talk with him last week. And I've asked them about this, like, is this just a fool's errand for baseball? Um, You know, can they they really get this going with, with the virus spiking everywhere? And, you know, it just takes an attention to detail. It takes tremendous discipline by a group of players, Um, So is it impossible? Is it zero? It's not zero. But, you know, it's it's how teams police themselves. Um, It's how really how how they react when there is a positive test on a team and how quickly they move to isolate and trace and move. And having read the manual, the operations manual, as it was on Friday, and this document continues to change and shift and evolve but uh, you know there are protocols in place to at least be as proactive as possible so I wouldn't put it at zero but I I would say that it is leveraged heavily on the the discipline and policies and actions of everybody involved the the entire community of baseball a lot of it falls on the players they're taking on a huge responsibility Um, but I think if baseball pulls it off this is a monumental undertaking, but also a. It, it will be an emblem of how people can come together to get the game going.
3: Well said, Derek. So when we have that first game, because I'm going to project positivity, when we okay. have that first game, <laughs> is Dylan Carlson with the club?
1: Well, I mean, it's a great question, and the answer is probably no um, unless there's an injury or unless there's something that leads to that. And, you know, they, it's a business decision at that point, right? Like you, if you can maintain an extra year of control with a young talent like that, especially coming after, um, you know, a financially constrained or financially disastrous, depending on who you just talk to um, season, you know, you, you're going to want to make that decision when it's Basically less than a week. I mean, you know, say the Cardinals open on July 24th, right? The second day of the season, um, you know, of the, of the planned season. They, uh, they, they bring him up by July 30th. You know, you could argue that that stretch of games, each one is worth about two and a half to three games on a normal schedule. So you could, you could argue that that, you know, the lost time there, um, could be costly, but you could also say that as a result of that, you're not using him for seven games, and it's going to cost you control for 162 down the road. Um, It's a lot tougher equation if this were a full season and he would have made his way on. But I think think at some point in time, teams have to be honest about what a 60-game schedule means and cashing in a 60-game or even 52-game, 54-game stretch in exchange for 162 down the road. That's a tough business decision. I know that it's not the right answer that fans want to hear, and it's not the answer if teams say, we'll put the most competitive best team on the field. But it, they've made a lot of business decisions that, here to just get the thing going. So what, what's that, that would be one more.
2: And, Derek, one other part of this is that the Cardinals planned way back during last winter, actually the winter before, on using mm-hmm. this season to evaluate guys like right. uh, like O'Neill and Lane Thomas, Right.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I mean they have been true to that, um, you know, and, and even and you think about like, um, you know, they they spent a lot of time in spring um, running Lane Thomas and Tyler O'Neill out there and getting Tyler O'Neill experience and Tyler O'Neill now has had um, months in the cage that he has not had before. Same with Lane Thomas. These guys um, who have gone from game, to game and level to level during a baseball season have now had basically, you know, two and a half plus months of laboratory work, um, you know, to to work on things that they had in their game or change things in their game. You know, and they don't have, they didn't have to do it under the pressure of games that count. They got, they got to do it um, sort of on independent study. It wasn't ideal. Everybody would rather have been playing. Everybody would have rather had health sweeping through the country, but, this was an opportunity for them to, to get in the lab and work without having to wonder what they were going to face that night. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's true to what the Cardinals have said. They want to give those guys, they want to, I think the phrase that Mosaic has used a lot is they want to find out what they have in these guys. They have a good feel for what, uh, you know, what they have or what they hope they have in the future in Dylan Carlson, but they don't want to leapfrog over guys they think can help them now. without giving them a look that window though is shorter because the season is shorter
3: Derek what role do you envision for a finally healthy Alex Reyes
1: would not well it's a good I was about to give you an answer that would be totally March Michelle (laughs) I was about to say it would it would not shock me at all if he's closer at some point um but that you know by May but uh, Jordan Hicks is coming back so um I guess I guess the the answer would be: Wouldn't shock me at all if he shares in some closing duty. If he carves out a niche as a setup guy, I also think that you know there's a real interesting element here with the expanded rock start and the um, the brevity of summer camp. Is that I think that's what we're calling it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so Camp Bush. There's a there's a there's there's a real interesting element there of pitcher who can handle innings can do for a team in those middle moments when there's leverage to be had after a starter leaves. And that could be an area where Alex Reyes, um, Genesis Cabrera, Daniel Ponce de Leon, where those guys shine because think of the different looks than the Cardinals could throw at an opponent um you know i know that the starters go out there and they're going to try to go seven eight innings but let's say at the beginning there's a real limitation of them going four or five innings Well you go four or five innings from adam wainwright and then you come from the left side with 98 mile an hour sinking genesis cabrera or you go you know four or five innings from dakota hudson with the power sinker and then you get out there with a uh, Daniel Ponce de Leon who can rise the high spin rate elevated fastball. I mean, it's just different look after different look, um, you know, so that third at bat looks way different than the first two. Um, I can see Alex Reyes is really shining in that role. And then as the roster shrinks, you start seeing him in that setup or, or spare closer or, or, you know, whatever, sometimes closer, closer B roll.
2: Derek, because I try to project for the thirty at the outset, thirty-man roster mm-hmm. with the presence of the DH, I'm thinking seventeen pitchers. Are you on that page?
1: So yeah, so thirteen. So every so all extra would so every extra one would be um, a pitcher. I think I think mean, that makes a lot of sense, uh, Randy, because because uh, you can have a taxi squad with that catcher with that third catcher on it. That's that's you would you would make one of those spots a third catcher in mm-hmm. most cases, but because you have the three people who can trout roster, and if you carry three, one of them has to be a catcher, then I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I would say one thing, um, if they want a different kind of matchup look, they might go with a left-handed bat for one of those spots. But I think you're saying it's either all four or three of the four that pitchers. That just makes sense.
2: Yeah, and uh, you do uh, two things. Number one, you aren't going to need to pinch hit much. And you, you have Miller down there who is a pretty accomplished bat. And if you have, right. y- you'll have either Edmund or Carpenter, I would presume, coming off the bench too.
1: Yeah, I mean, you could see Miller being the left-handed hitting DH, right? I mean, that, mm-hmm. that seems like um, a sneaky good role for him, to be honest. Um, given how he hit for the Phillies and given how the power he has. Um, I just, you know, you, you, if they if they want to blend a little bit with their outfields, you could see one of those extra spots. Like Justin Williams is coming to Bush Stadium, um, and he's coming for a reason. He's a left-handed hitting outfielder. Um, you, know, I, 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 it's, you know, it's a great point that you make that there'll be limited use for pinch hitting. Um, at least we think that, but I'm not so – I don't know. You know, we don't – We don't know. We see American League teams pinch hit in the postseason, and there's a really good sense that that's how – some managers are going to operate right to the pedal immediately. Hey, Derek,
2: before we let you go, and I mentioned this last week in the uh, the, the Zoom meeting with John Moselak, I really do think that the shortened season plays into the hands of managers that manage at the minor league level, like uh, Mike Schilt, like Brian Snitker, because they've managed mm-hmm. in the split season and they've had to manage uh, in a sprint. Do, do you agree with that? Is there, is there, obviously there's no negative, but I would think, when you're managing against the likes of David Ross uh, uh, and guys that don't have experience, I would think that 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 experience works to the Cardinals' advantage.
1: I thought it was a really salient point, Randy. I'll give you kudos for asking it and for thinking in those terms. I I think there's an element of prioritizing development at those half-season levels, right, over urgency. And they're going to let guys play through things. Um, But that said, certainly no the metabolism of that schedule, right? And the Cardinals have, under Farm Director Gary LaRock specifically, they really have pushed to win in the minors. So uh, development is a priority, but they want it done through the lens of winning. And so they want some decisions made with the notion of, okay, here's how a pennant race goes, here's the pace of it, here's the feel of it, here's the necessity for consistency and for you know, the, the, the uh, what's the phrase, the, you know, the play um, with the same kind of urgency every day that comes with getting into playoffs. So I think you made a great point. I also think that I talked to Matt Carpenter, and he made an interesting point, too, that he was going to try to reach out to college coaches, and the more I asked, or like I asked some players around, I kind of got to thinking about that. There's a real element of a college season here. Mm-hmm. Um, granted that they're going to be playing every day, so that doesn't happen in college. But the gravity of weekend SCC games. Man, that's that's what's that's what's going on here. Uh, real condensed schedule. So I think it was a great question for you to ask, Randy, and a great point because there is something to the condensed schedule. The manager has to understand that, okay, like, hey, I can't wait for this guy to get going, or I can't wait for this to happen. Uh, and then there's also something about how players prepare for the gravity of games, which any of them are familiar with from college.
2: Derek Gould, we're reading you every day in the Post-Dispatch and at stltoday.com. Keep up the great work. Thank you so much, and we'll talk to you soon.
1: Pleasure to talk with you guys. Thank you guys very much. Have a great day.
2: You too. That is Derek Gould. And you should either get that online subscription at STLtoday.com or just pick up a newspaper and read the work that he and that and entire staff are doing covering the Cardinals. It's great.
3: It's a must for any Cardinals fan out there. Coming up today's
0: big thing with Randy and Michelle on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's Big Thing with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN.
2: Nine oh three, Your Time Check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler, character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. And we have scoops with Danny Mac coming up in the next hour from 10 to 11. Dan McLaughlin will be with you. And a lot of newsy things going on around baseball and football, not the least of which is the fact that Cam Newton was signed to a one-year contract yesterday by the New England Patriots. He finally has passed his physical and evidently is over his both foot and shoulder injuries and with newton making his way to new england they all of a sudden go from 25 to 1 to win the super bowl to 20 to 1 to win the super bowl and the big question is going to be is he going to be able to be healthy but that's only part of the question i'm intrigued by the way he'll be utilized and people are saying well the Patriots are going to have to change their offense. One, one thing that we know is that Josh McDaniels can be somewhat of a chameleon, even though he'll try to make a quarterback a running quarterback, even though he has a high ankle sprain. Correct. He also was able to get some pretty decent production out of Tim Tebow. So it, it's not like he's never worked with a mobile quarterback before.
3: Do you really have faith in Josh McDaniels to be able to do anything of substance without Tom Brady?
2: And Belichick, no. But I do think that when McDaniels wasn't there, Belichick was their offensive coordinator for a couple of years. And Belichick does find a way to get the most out of players. In and of himself, no, I don't think that McDaniels is going to dramatically improve Cam Newton. But I do think that one of the things Belichick does is finds what players do well or what they don't do well on other teams, and he's able to exploit them, whether for his own gain or his team's gain against other teams. I think that the best things that Cam Newton does will be on display for the Patriots.
3: I don't doubt that at all. And circling back to Josh McDaniels, how many times have we talked about, hey, yeah, he's never done it really without Tom Brady. He's had these other stops and he hasn't had success without Tom Brady. I don't wonder if this year, is going to be a major point of conversation about the actual skill set of Josh McDaniels because he had the, ch- the chance in Indy, left him at the altar. Yep. A lot of people said it's because he's going to be the heir apparent in New England and that's the gig that he wants. But if he doesn't have success this year with either Stidham or Newton and then it continues the next year... I, I just think his value right now is kind of still at a peak because of Brady and that it could only continue to diminish over time.
2: And he's always worked, whether it be with Tebow or Bradford here or Tom Brady, pliable personalities. He's he's dealing with a guy who appears to have a pretty rigid personality here in Cam Newton. It's a great personality. He's got a great smile. But he's not a guy that has always been the most pliable in terms of coaching. it's They have changed a lot of offensive coordinators in Carolina because they couldn't get Cam Newton to do what they wanted him to do. I'm wondering if McDaniels will be able to deal with a less than pliable personality in, in Cam Newton.
3: Yeah, you go from Tom Brady, who's the ultimate team guy, who's considered the goat, but it's never about him. He never makes it about him. And Cam Newton, who's considered a me guy. But Maybe Cam Newton, because there wasn't as much, much interest in him as he would have liked to think, has been humbled a little bit. Maybe this offseason has proved to him, hey, I've been injured a lot, and even though I have confidence in myself, I have to prove my worth to this team. And we've seen it a lot of time times with these veteran guys. They go to New England, and they fall in line with Bill Belichick, but I think Cam Newton is probably one of the most interesting case studies, because Tom Brady is not there, and he is such a, hi, I'm Cam Newton... Spotlight is on me personality. It's going to be really interesting to see how he meshes there.
2: And you made the point that if you were in their shoes, you would start Jared Stidham. And the more I think about it, because Cam Newton is not your future. He just turned to 31. One-year deal. Right. You might as well find out if this guy that you didn't sign a veteran free agent quarterback to back up until June 28th, if this guy is your guy and the only way you're going to find that out is to play him. Brady played the year after he was drafted. Stidham had the chance to work with the coaching staff for a year. He knows the system way better than than Newton will. And so if they start on time and both players are at training camp on the same date, I would think that Stidham is going to be way ahead of Newton in terms of knowing what the Patriots do.
3: Absolutely. And in addition to wanting to find out if he's going to be your future quarterback, I think for a guy who's been there for a while, who's done everything they've asked of him, it's also a good confidence booster for him, for Belichick to say, hey, we brought Cam Newton in as an option, but you are going to be the guy. This is your job to lose. I think for a starting quarterback who's been in Tom Brady's shadow for a while, that says a lot.
2: Meanwhile, baseball camps are going to start throughout Major League Baseball this week. The Cardinals with their first workout on Friday. People getting tested as we speak for COVID-19. And inevitably, people are going to test positive for COVID-19 and players are going to test positive. We heard Buster only say that he gives baseball a 0% chance of being able to start and finish the season. Derek Gould not nearly as pessimistic. But my question is this, and I don't, I'm do not i not out and about, but I, I, I know what baseball players are. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder if baseball players are going to be able to change their habits enough and enact enough personal responsibility to avoid COVID-19.
3: Well while our workplace is completely different than a major league baseball workplace it's it's really night and day we c- it's, it's hard to compare i do think there is a comparison in the fact that you have all these different people with different belief systems and diff- from, from different walks of life who have different life experiences who are viewing this pandemic through different lenses and While I would like to think all baseball players are going to show up and take this very seriously, look across America. Not everyone is taking this very seriously. And so while I think will players in the team environment, when cameras are there and coaches are there, are they going to follow these protocols to the best of their abilities? I think absolutely. Now, when they leave, if they're feeling great and is maybe a week or two into the season and they don't really think this is that big of a deal, do I think they're going to follow everything to the letter of the law? Probably not. I mean, why, why would we think that all of these players, thousands of players in Major League Baseball would be any different than the general population in America?
2: So give me, I'm going to give you a couple of things here. Number one, Major League Baseball from Rob Manfred on down till you get to the players should be thrilled that so many states have closed bars.
3: Yes, absolutely. But
2: if I'm the Cardinals and I'm Ernie Moore, their director of team travel, I'm doing two, I'm going to try to set up what, the NBA has, and uh, a former Blues uh, employee, Tony Oman, was the director of team travel for the Blackhawks. And the Blackhawks, when especially once they started winning championships, and all those Blackhawks fans were all over the place, they would be mobbed while they were out on the road. So what Tony would do is set up a lounge for the players. Mm-hmm. You get a ballroom, and you set up video games, and you set up a golden tea and... A, a, a big screen TV so that you can watch other sports and you have it set up so that you have a ballroom so, so that your players have everything they need, even if they want to drink at night. Yeah. And you've got a bar in the corner and just set it up so that you have a reception for the players for every moment that they aren't at the ballpark.
3: And in addition to that, I'm still on board with what I presented to you last week, the R.A. idea. I think every floor that the players are staying on, there needs to be somebody there that's monitoring them. Or when they want to potentially go out because they're getting stir crazy, you have an accountability coach to be like, hey, don't do it, man. It's not worth it. You got to leave safely, as John Moselock said.
2: Yeah, and you don't want to have the fun RAs, do you? You you have to have the the staunch tough RAs.
3: Yeah, we don't need a Frank the Tank type RA. <laughs> no. You know, we need someone who's double majoring in chemistry and biology and has a very serious future.
2: Okay, I. so we're gonna do four RAs on the Cardinal roster. Wayno is obviously one of them.
3: Oh, for sure. Oh, Yachty. Are you gonna are you gonna disobey Yachty? No. I'm not. Marp? Hmm. He's a good one. Veteran guy. Yeah, and he's he's serious about stuff too. He he's like, I'm working so hard that I'm injuring myself. Really? Right. Do you really need to go out right now?
2: And then Goldie, right? Yeah. All of those players, or or Fowler, uh, all of those five veterans would be fine at holding others accountable and saying, "Hey, I'm closing in on the end of my career. here. I'm not going to have you, youngster, mess this up."
3: Yeah. So we've got. Definitely Wayno. Yeah. Definitely Adi. Right. Definitely Marp. And I think Goldie, too. I mean, you're right. He's a veteran. He's very serious, too.
2: Yeah. So you've got a good group there to keep people in line. So those are your RAs for the Cardinals, uh, courtesy of Character and Smallman.
3: Who on this roster here would you think would be the loosest R.A.? Carlos somebody Martinez.
2: That, somebody that would be a fun R.A. that you don't want being an R.A.?
3: Yeah, that would be too fun. I was thinking Carlos Martinez, maybe.
2: He would be a fun RA. Yeah, you don't want to have him...
3: He'd be like, where are you going? I'm going to come too.
2: Right, that would be part of it. And uh, I I don't know if Harrison Bader is out and about. He's a fun guy. But I I also see him as a responsible guy.
3: I could see it go either way. Don't know him well. I
2: I don't want him to be an RA. He's too young to be an RA.
3: Too young to be an RA? He's
2: like a freshman.
3: Okay, here's the, the most interesting... Option, he's young, but he's also very fiery. Jack Flaherty.
2: Jack Flaherty is an RA type. The only reason I didn't take him is because of his youth. You, but you don't want to cross Jack Flaherty, and he's serious and he wants to win. And you, you don't mess around with my success. You go to that corner room and say, "Hey, Jack, you, uh, we're, we're going to go out. Is it okay?" He's saying, no, "No, no, you aren't going out."
3: I see him putting a chair underneath the door handle so somebody can't yeah. get out. I mean, look at the way he's responding to things on Twitter. He wants to play. He doesn't want his season yeah. to be in jeopardy. You think if he sees one of his teammates sneaking out, he's not going to be the toughest R.A. there is?
2: Yeah, but here's the thing. As an R.A., he, he would be tough. But here's part of the issue with my lounge idea. Is anybody ever going to beat him at ping pong, or is he just going to be playing all night long? You got the ping pong table in the middle of the room, and... The winner always keeps playing.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Is he just going to play all night long? Does anybody beat him at ping pong?
3: No, mama mentality.
2: Yeah, totally. totally. So that's one of the issues that you're going to have with my lounge idea, too.
3: So he, you're saying he's going to be holding court the entire time, so he yes. won't be on his floor? Yeah, that's a problem. Yeah. That's a problem.
2: Coming up with character and Smallman, we've got You're Killing Me, Spalls.
0: It's next on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> What's totally killing Smalls right now?
3: You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing
0: me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN.
2: All right, my favorite segment of the day is you're killing me, Smalls. And Michelle has some great tip. And one of the cool things about this is that I don't know what Michelle has brought to the table here before we start this segment. So that makes it particularly fun.
3: You're killing me, Smalls. Before we get into the stories, Randy's a lot of people checking in saying Paul the Young would be a great RA for the Cardinals. He would,
2: although I would hope that he wouldn't be the kid that... And not that he's not a tough guy, but he's—is he the guy that young scofflaws are going to try to sneak past the door of?
3: Yes, they're going to try and sneak past him. And
2: if you're coming back, are you? You're worried about Yachty catching you. You're worried about Wayno catching you. Are are you particularly worried about Paul DeYoung catching you, or does he just say, "Hey, guys, don't do it again"?
3: So he's a very nice guy, yeah. but he's also a scientist. So before you mm-hmm. leave, he's going to have all sorts of concrete facts in front of you. Hey, did you see how many people have died of COVID? Do you see how many new infections there are? Do you see how this is a hotspot? Look at these facts. Are you really ready to risk that to leave this hotel? It's definitely going to give you pause.
2: It would give me pause, but I'm not so sure it would give the young Major League Baseball player who thinks he's invincible pause.
3: New idea. Instead of current players, what if we just station Bob Gibson and Chris Carpenter there?
2: Then nobody's leaving.
3: No one's leaving.
2: Yeah. Just get the tough guys and nobody's going anywhere.
3: You killed me! Randy, we've been talking about the Patriots a lot this year because they signed, or excuse me, the show because they signed Cam Newton to the one year deal. But we also have some other Patriots news that has seemingly been buried under all this Cam Newton discussion. Would you like to hear it?
2: I would like to hear it, Michelle.
3: So uh the NFL has handed down penalties to the Patriots for their television crew that filmed the field and the Cincinnati sign line during that December game between the Bengals and the Browns. Oh yeah, remember that. Mm-hmm. Another Patriots employee filming other teams. Shock. Anyway, would you like to hear what their penalties are?
2: Yeah, uh, they got penalized. They did. I like this.
3: $1.1 million in club fines, a loss of a third-round pick in the 2021 draft, the Patriots television production crews will not be allowed to shoot any games during the 2020 season, and senior club officials will have recorded required training on league operation and game policies.
2: And Patriots fans will say, well, we never did anything wrong. And I respond by saying, well, then why did you have to give up another draft choice and another million one? You did something wrong and the league found that you did something wrong when you don't do anything wrong you don't get penalized for it this is the third time that they have been penalized with draft choice compensation that they have lost or draft choice forfeiture that they've had to endure and significant fines the third time spygate DeflateGate, and now this nobody else in the league is dealing with these sorts of issues so clearly there is something at the top where somebody is saying, okay, let's do this to try to get the advantage, and it's worth it for us. If we have to give up a third or a fourth now and then, or even a first-round pick, and millions of dollars, it's worth it for us.
3: Just like in Spygate, there was a whistleblower, right? Mm-hmm. genius, Yes, that's right. Mangini. Do you think that when Belichick retires, and it's maybe 10 years after he's retired, and there's no chance of him coming back, and his power isn't as strong as as it is right now. And he's already in the Hall of Fame. And he's already in the Hall of Fame. That we'll see a former member of the Patriots come out and list all the ways that they had maybe a little bit here, a little bit there, that might have been a little bit outside the rules, but that it was well-known within those walls, this is what we're going to do.
2: I do think that will happen. But there's also that Ernie Adams guy who has been Belichick's... They grew up together. He's been Belichick's right-hand guy forever. And... Famously, Art Modell, when Belichick was the head coach of the Browns, Art Modell in a staff meeting said, I'll give $10,000 to anybody that can tell me what Ernie Adams does. The owner of the team didn't know, and he was paying him. And so Ernie Adams is kind of a state secret there, and he's not going to write a book. So I I think Ernie Adams and Belichick are the only two that really know.
3: But how do we know that there won't be some sort of fracture there?
2: That'd be good. I'd like that. But... Lifelong buddies. I mean, the, from the time they were six until now 68 or whatever, I don't know if that fracture is going to occur.
3: And he probably, I'm sure, has a lot of uh, positive things in his life because of this relationship with Belichick. Right. But you know it's not going to be Tom Brady because if Tom Brady reveals anything that happened within those walls that may have been improper, it also taints his legacy. It's going to have to be... You know who I, I don't wonder if it is? Is a guy, not, not him specifically, but a guy like Danny Amendola mm-hmm. who was there had played on other teams, got his championships, got his success, but after he left, was like, this was a terrible place to play. It was very vocal yep. about how it was too, It was really rough, and you know, it was very strict. I, I don't wonder if it's a guy that while they got their success there, and they were there long enough to understand the intricacies of the Patriots' way, don't feel that loyalty to Belichick and the franchise the way that a Brady would.
2: But I don't know that a guy like Amendola would know I don't think anybody knows everything. Because here's what Belichick, I think, does. He'll go to Brady and say, okay, we're going to deflate footballs. Or we'll go to Brady. Brady would be the one. And say, okay, you can look over to those sidelines and you know exactly what their defense is going to be. Because I'm giving you this tape here. Brady would be the one. But in terms of everybody else, it's... Okay, the TV production crew, you go out and tape this. And okay, assistant coaches, you take a look at this. There's one person doing every little thing, so nobody is completely involved except for he and Adams.
3: It's really brilliant when you think about it. Yeah, it
2: is. It. You keep you keep people apart from each other so that they just don't know and nobody nobody could possibly know everything except for those two.
3: But I have learned in life that you try to keep people away from each other, but eventually I'm going to say, what is Randy Carker over there doing? And then maybe one night we go have beers and I'm like, hey, you filming some stuff? What's the deal? And you let it slip. And then you realize, oh, wait, Randy's got a part well, in this, too. Okay, I wonder if Tanner's got a part in this, too. Should we talk to him?
2: But here's the thing is as soon as anything pops and it happened in 07 and it happened now, the person that was doing the taping gets fired immediately. And is out of the organization. Mm-hmm. And usually they pay him off. The one guy was became a golf pro in Hawaii. The guy who taped the Rams practice down in New Orleans, he, he wound up as a golf pro in Hawaii.
3: Sounds like a great gig.
2: I think that they probably set that up for him, and he got a few bucks out of it, too.
3: Not a bad life, Randy. You're killing me, Smalls. So we've been waiting for sports to come back, and we remember the incident that essentially stopped sports in its tracks, and that was Rudy Gobert testing positive for COVID. So we know that the NBA is getting ready to start up in July. We've had the schedule release. Everyone's getting very excited. And Rudy Gobert was talking to a French newspaper about COVID and his experience, and he says that he's still dealing with some side effects. Three months later, he said the taste has returned, but the smell is still not 100%. I can smell smells, but not from a I spoke to specialists who told me that it could take up to a year to return to normal. Wow.
2: Well, at least driving through Kankakee, Illinois won't be so bad. Isn't that terrible on the way up to Chicago? bad. So that won't be bad for him. But I I do feel for him because I I, I don't think that anybody. Well, I'll, I'll put it this way. Most people outside of the medical field didn't know how serious it was when he touched all of those microphones and tape recorders and stuff like that. I could have seen me doing something like that, just goofing around mm-hmm. and you know rolling the, the dice on something like that. So I feel bad for him in that regard and, and hope that he bounces back. But it is amazing when you look at him being the reason that the NBA shut down. And as we mentioned earlier, 13 NBA players testing positive and the commissioner saying, well, we're still going forward. We're going to work through it. It's amazing how perception has changed here.
3: Oh, absolutely. But I wonder if you're a player and you might have some reservations about this and you read that Rudy Gobert says he still doesn't know if he's 100% ready to return and that he still feels strange things occasionally as a ripple effect from this virus, that that doesn't give you more pause.
2: I think it has to. But it also, if it is going to give you pause about coming back when everybody's tested every other day, it has to give you pause about going to a grocery store, doesn't it? You would think. You have to change your life if you're going to be that concerned about... Getting at a place where everybody's going to be tested literally every other day. Then, what about the places where you don't know if people are A positive or B tested? Good point, Randy. And I believe all the players that tested positive in the NBA were asymptomatic.
3: So. You're killing me, small. All right, last one, Randy. Colin Cowherd released his list. Of the top five arm talents in the NFL. I'm going to run through it quickly. Jared Goff, number five. Kyler Murray, number four. Yeah, I know. Drew Brees, number three. Tom Brady, number two. And Russell Wilson, number one. Absolutely no Patrick Mahomes on the top five arm talents in the NFL.
2: Somebody's looking for a reaction. Somebody's working for FS1 and knows they have no viewers.
3: That's based in California?
2: Yeah. Jared Goff. Seriously. (laughs) Give me a break. So, here, I, I can... We can do this quickly, okay. can't
3: we? Yeah, go ahead. So let's uh, let's
2: play the arm talent game. Uh, Kyler Murray, I would agree, has more arm talent. Uh, I think Jimmy Garoppolo has more arm talent than Jared Goff okay. does. Uh, does he have Russell Wilson in there? Yeah, number knows, one. Right? Number one overall. Uh, okay, good. So then um, Aaron Rodgers doesn't yeah, have more.
3: That's what I was thinking. Are you Aaron, you kidding You're going to put Goff on this list over Rodgers?
2: Yeah. I would say that Kirk Cousins has more arm talent than Jared Goff. He does. J- J- this is ridiculous. Okay, let's. Drew Brees is Drew Brees on the list? No.
3: <laughs> but wait, wait. Late, late in his career, maybe you can make the argument. Then Jared Goff? I know. I'm just. I'm just trying to discuss. Randy, we're trying to embrace debating. Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan not on the list.
2: It, it, it's crazy, and the fact that Mahomes isn't in the top five is, in and of itself, is ridiculous. But just come on, Colin, you, you should be better than that.
3: Or is he great at this because now we're discussing it That's and we're exactly. mentioning his show. and He's getting
2: he, a reaction. We mentioned so FS1. Hey,
3: maybe, he, maybe he's the genius behind this. But Jared Goff, I knew, Randy, that would make you scoff. Oh, no, Patrick Mahomes, you're going to add Jared Goff.
2: It's ridiculous. <laughs> he doesn't have the most arm talent in his own city. <laughs> Justin Herbert has more arm talent than Jared Goff. It's crazy. Anyway, thanks, Michelle. You
3: got it, Randy. That
2: is, uh, you're killing me, Smalls. She literally is killing me with I'm this sorry, stuff. Randy, I'm, I'm sorry, Randy. I'm sorry. I had
3: 100.
2: to. <laughs> Next up, Danny Mack and his weekly visit here on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN.
0: We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> now it's time for the Danny Mac Report. This is caught- it's history. As we give you the lowdown on everything cards. Brought to you by Goodwill. Donate your car to Goodwill. It is quick, easy, and towing is free. The St. Louis Cardinals, nationally, Central
6: Division champions.
0: With Danny Mac on 101 ESPN.
2: Danny Mac is uh, participating in Hashtag Team Morning mm-hmm. this morning with the Riz Show, and he'll join us after he joins the Riz Show. Michelle and I used to be in the fast lane, and uh, Michelle, one of our all-time fast lane favorites, JFF, has decided to end his football career.
3: Oh, he decided.
2: Uh, well, somebody somebody <laughs> he has, has now decided. decided? For, uh, he has now determined. Oh, great, great. He said it. Uh, Johnny Manziel saying that he's at a point in his life where he's ready to concede that his football career is probably in the past.
3: I'm glad, Johnny, that you've come to that conclusion. We've been there for a while. Welcome to our side of the argument.
2: Yeah, and I never. Re- he, he was such a little guy at Texas A and M. I never had a lot of confidence
3: in him becoming a... Uh, I, I always try to think, okay, let's not just judge from the outside. Imagine if that was your life. Imagine, I know he came for money and had a lot of access to things before, but still, you're a young kid, you're a, you start this season, and then while you're in college, Drake is flying you to his concerts yep. where you're sitting front row or getting backstage, and you're partying with the biggest celebrities in the world while you're still in college. And you're on the cover of every magazine. You are the talk, not only of college football, but of the sports world. I don't know how how I would handle that. I don't know if I would have handled it well. But I certainly know in college that I didn't make all the best decisions. And I love to party. So I, I... I'm not surprised that his career went the way that it did, but I also have a little empathy for him because I don't understand how anybody would really be able to handle that level of fame.
2: Yeah, and he says he says that uh, he has been humbled. The quote, thank God I did get a chance to be humbled because when you think you're at the top of the world, it's a dangerous place. And uh, he said uh, that Kingsbury is a guy who changed my life for the better and I'll always be thankful for I have more fun with the train wreck aspect of things. Oh, great. So I I think my favorite, and there are multiple that you think about yours. My favorite part of the whole thing is that his parents had license plates on their cars that said JFF mom and JFF dad. And JFF was Johnny blanking football. Mm -hmm. So they actually got license plates that said JFF mom for the mom and JFF dad for the dad. It doesn't get any better than that.
3: I think it's it does, Randy. And I okay. think it's Johnny Manzel partying in Las Vegas with a wig and a fake mustache, thinking that no one's going to pay attention to him.
4: <laughs> okay, that was pretty good.
3: It's like, really? You really think that you're incognito enough that you're in disguise that no one's going to recognize <laughs> it's you? We all know it's you.
2: It's unbelievable. So, yeah, he w- he wound up being kind of a mess, didn't he?
3: Well, and then you re- read further about his time at Texas A&M. Remember those reports that came out that said he didn't even really know the plays, that he would kind of ad-lib mm-hmm. on his own, and he had a lot of success doing that, but that's not going to really translate to the NFL.
2: And going to practice, because he was so popular, going to practice and leaving his house at times was nearly impossible because he would just get mobbed. And he made a bunch of money by signing autographs, too. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the things that actually led to the NCAA changing the rules in regards to play Players being able to benefit off of their own likeness and I always thought that one of the things the NCAA should have done earlier was allow players to sign autographs that tells you exactly what the market value is that tells you how popular a player is why not and now they're going to but I think players should have been able to sign autographs
3: absolutely and then it doesn't really matter what program you're at if you have success you're able to benefit off of yourself
2: right and Manziel could have done that and. If he could have just stayed in college football, if he could have been on the eight-year plan rather than the four-year plan, and he was in an SEC school, so we know he was getting paid well, Yeah, I think that that would have been much better for him.
3: The Van Wilder plan?
6: Yeah. Danny Mac is here with us. What's up, guys? How was Riz? Oh, it was great. A lot of fun. Those are fun people, aren't they? No, they're great. A lot of fun. I Sorry I'm a little you... late. No, don't worry about it. I was I was here, so um, technically I was working for the company. That's yeah. all that matters okay. to us. So I... I I'm not going to hold this one on me. I'm not responsible for being late.
3: Dan, we're Team Morning here. We okay. support the wrist show. Okay,
6: good. Yeah, so if you want to join them, that's not a problem at all. All right, good. I, I told them. Well, I didn't tell them. So maybe this one was on me that I was supposed to be here at 930. Oh. Here's the thing, though. If uh,
2: if you were recording something with the fast lane, then we'd have an issue with Big it. Time. Yeah, that that. so you guys
6: are going against your own people. No, we're not going against them. We're just going for us. Okay, I understand. I understand.
3: We're all members of Hubbard Broadcasting. That's true.
6: We're all yeah. part of the same family, That's trying right. to make this thing work. You know, it's all good. How so, are you guys? We're doing great. Awesome. Had a good weekend. Yeah, had won a great the fight. Weekend. So I'm happier now. You? Won, oh, you won the fight. Yeah. Had you been losing? I lost on Friday. Yeah, you did. How many? If you? Uh, how many fights you think you've done? So in this uh, sh- show, we've had.
3: Was
2: it forty shows?
3: I think now. I think so. Right around there. I
2: think I've lost outright twice. That's it? Yeah.
3: He's tied once or twice.
2: Uh, Yeah, I think maybe three or four. I've lost because the tie goes to the listener. You don't get lifelines either. I get one lifeline if I need it. Have you ever used it? Yeah, I have, but I didn't use it today. Okay. Sometimes I have no idea.
6: You're kind of a freak of nature, man. It it is impressive. I tell people it's the only thing i got going for me. Steel trap, baby. (laughs) Yeah. If that...
2: uh, If... Anybody ever asked me a question like about history? Mm-hmm. Although, I, to my credit, I can do Pearl Harbor. Some people can't. I can. Mm-hmm. That's good.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, you watch the movie. Yeah, yeah. That's how you remember.
3: Big Ben Affleck guy.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. There you go. Uh, but if if the four o'clock fight was really about geometry, geography, history, math, I'm screwed. But the fact that it's oh, about yeah. sports, uh, and only sports, mm-hmm. I'm okay.
6: I, yeah, I, I I yeah for sure. <laughs> I don't think you're very good at math. I've listened to you I'm, on the air. No, I'm not good at math at I'd, all. I'd give you... I think you're a C at math. Uh, I got some Ds in math. I think oh. your history is a B+. Plus. Mm-hmm. I think your sports knowledge is an A++. Plus plus. Thank you. Yeah, yes. I did... Uh, that, yeah, that's, that's legitimate. Fair. That's fair. My
2: my parents were proud of me one time when I came home with uh, like four Ds and a
6: C. <laughs> Really, really? So you
2: did really well on that C-class.
6: <laughs> I. How about the uh, the stuff now where they're saying the ACT, you're going to have time now to, if they continue to do the ACT, mm-hmm. that you're going to have time to uh, complete the, uh, the test. I was such mm. a bad test taker, man. Ugh. Wow. I was too. It was embarrassing. I mean, bad. A couple of times I even studied, and I was still bad. I mean, bad. My favorite was I went to the ACT to take the test and there was a football player from another school and uh... they give you the pencil and you know it's the the thing that you just whatever they give you the a b c d e and you just fill it Mm -hmm.
3: out the scantron
6: right and he literally they they you know they she says okay three two one the the person moderating it start and he just went boom 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 and he slapped it it was like out of fast times at richmond high and he slapped it down he goes and put his head down. <laughs> and we all started laughing. It was awesome. That's great. It was awesome. I
2: I did not get a lot of parental pressure, obviously, to get good grades. Michelle, you got a lot of pressure
6: to get good grades, oh, right? Oh,
3: big time. I would show up with a B plus my dad would go, Are you incapable of getting an A? Really? Yeah. And I would say, so, no, I, I just not. didn't
2: study hard enough, and that mm-hmm. was not acceptable. And, uh, yeah. see, for me, it was uh, kind of a reverse psychology. I would come home with the Ds, and they'd say, you have a good brain,
6: but, <laughs> 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 yeah. My parents, I think, just prayed that I would come home with something that was remotely close to a C-plus, <laughs> and my mm-hmm. brother was an A-plus student. Oh, yeah? Yeah, well, he was really smart, yeah. He's a lawyer, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Big time lawyer. So uh, my thing was,
2: and uh, as it turns out, and I didn't learn this until literally last year, But uh, I I had an advocate and an assistant principal who would tell teachers, and he told me stories about how, uh, specifically, one history teacher came up and said, what am I going to do about this character kid? And the guy said, well, what's the problem? He said, he sits in the back of my class and just talks sports all day. (laughs) And the uh, the assistant principal said that he's going to do that. Don't worry about it. Just deal with it, and he's going to be fine. So they gave me passing grades. And then I was in uh, DECA, Distributive Education classes of america whatever it was club yeah distributive, distributive education clubs of america so for the second half of the day my entire senior year i would leave school and go to work and i got an a for managing a gas station
6: well um my the the day before we were supposed to walk in college to graduate uh god bless glenn cerny do you know the yeah. story no i don't know the story but i know glenn Um, and Glenn was my advisor and Glenn was an awesome dude. And as you know, I was working full time, Mm -hmm. um, literally working full time. I mean, doing 80 hours, 90 hours, um, in this business and trying to finish in, in college, I may or may not have gone to this class, but the, the professor, which she was an elderly lady and I would check in occasionally and just say, Hey, am I doing okay? Oh yeah. Yeah. You're fine great okay um she decided to tell glenn at the, the last moment dan's not passing this Oof. class and glenn said um you know you're not walking you didn't pass and glenn made the call to make sure that i would the wow. pass that's the good class. that's good stuff yeah i was gonna have to tell my mom that uh mom um I'm sorry, but I'm not walking because I'm not fasting and um I don't know what that's I'm gonna do. Not something that you want to tell mom. Ooh, that was a tough one. <laughs> yeah, that a was a tough avoid. one.
2: <laughs> and somehow we got through it. Gonna get you ready for Scoops with Danny Mac next on 101 ESPN.
0: We are right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> <laughs> Time now for The Crossover, brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs, The Crossover on 101 ESPN.
2: Crossing it over with Dan McLaughlin. Scoops with Danny Mac is coming up here on 101 ESPN. And Dan, Cardinal employees and Cardinal players and managers and coaches all going through COVID-19 testing this week
6: as they get ready to hopefully get things started on Friday with their first workout. I am uh, cautiously optimistic that this can be done. I don't think Major League Baseball would go through this type of process unless they felt that um hey they're going to exhaust all options to try to make this thing go it'll be incumbent uh, on the players on the coaches on the manager on the on the traveling party uh to be uh you know policing each other policing themselves to try to make this thing go i mean it's a daunting task i don't think there's anybody that believes it's not and um I would imagine that once they gather on Wednesday, that everybody is going to have a heart to heart with each other. You know, some of the veterans will probably stand up or pull players aside, and especially some of the younger players, and say, Look, I'm dependent on you for my health, and we're dependent on each other to. Try to make this thing go, and we want to make it go. We want to make make this thing work, and when we're on the road or even at home, let's try to be as responsible as we can. We can't outrun this virus, so let's be as responsible as we can. We know it's a daunting task, um, but let's try to make this thing work. I. Again, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic that we are going to to have a season, but that's why you have a pool of players as big as it is for Major League Baseball. I, I think we would be naive to think that there aren't going to be some that test positive but uh again that's why you have this massive pool of players to try to, to to draw from and let's see if we can't make this thing work i want your perspective because
2: michelle and i have uh i think we're only partially differing here you were you saw dylan carlson every day in spring training where do you stand on dylan carlson he's with the big pool but him being with the 30-man roster on opening day
6: Well, I think the Cardinals with uh, such a short season, I I I still go back that they're going to give Tyler O'Neill the best opportunity uh, to try to make this team. Uh, and 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 not only make the team, but also the best opportunity to be the everyday left fielder. And then once he shows that he can be that guy and Harrison Bader to an extent, if that doesn't work out, then I think you go... Lane Thomas and Lane Thomas has shown flashes once healthy to be a very good player. The problem with this season is this, man, it just it's so short. So if you were talking about a normal season, you would give a player, let's say, I would think thirty to forty five games. And in a short season, you're talking probably what do you say? fifteen to seven twenty to games, 10 maybe yeah. Uh, every game is worth two point seven. Right, Um, I would say 10 to 15. I I would say you give those guys 10 to 15. Now, if you start adding that up, 10 to 15. The quarter of the season. Yeah, well, half. I mean, if you look 10 to 15, you say, okay, that's your shot with this guy. Then the next guy gets 10 to 15. And if those two guys don't get it done, then it's Dylan Carlson. And I still go back. I think it's fascinating to look at. I was reading um, about one of the top pitching prospects and with another team, one of the top prospects in baseball and will these teams, all of them, are going to be on this pool of players. They're all going to be part of their camps, and whether or not they break. I, I think the fascinating question with all these teams is, do they look at it as a viable championship season? Mm-hmm. And that's what it comes down to. And do you want to start clocks? And and that's a question that all these teams have to answer. But as it pertains to the Cardinals, I really believe they want to see what Tyler O'Neill has. And it seems like an eternity ago... <clears throat> The Cardinals feel with Tyler O'Neill, and I was told by a coach this, and it may surprise some, that he played gold-glove caliber defense down in the minor leagues. For whatever reason, though, when he comes up to the major league club, and it might be a byproduct of looking over your shoulder, and remember there was a lot of guys that were here prior to them making some trades and clearing out some space, um, you know, the pressure of feeling that, now that spot is his. And I thought he had a really good camp. Um, They're going to give him every chance to show what he can do. They think he can be a really good player. They think Lane Thomas can be a very good player. So I I think they're going to give those guys every chance to do what they think he can be. Um, But if he doesn't, then you're looking at Dylan Carlson.
3: So I always try to manage expectations. So is it fair to say that regardless of what Carlson does in summer camp, that you think this decision is kind of already made
6: i, I don't i, I don't I, I because i i still think you, you gotta first of all guys gotta be healthy Sure, um guys do need to produce a little bit and i think what's really unique too is we don't know what was at their disposal for any of these players during quarantine Good point you know i mean i'll give you a good example like i i talked to austin gomber probably three weeks ago and I said to Austin Gomber I said what what have you been able to do?" He said, "Well, I've been able to go to a park, and I've been able to play catch you know with with some people around here and get off a mound in a park now I, I'm not sure if he was able to get to the facility i didn't I didn't have that um conversation of how far he was able to go to uh, the Cardinals training facility. I don't know. I do know for some players they weren't you know some guys were just like left to go do literally a park Mm -hmm. you know when parks opened up and that's what they had now some guys because of their financial situation um have home gyms and they had batting cages and they had the wherewithal to work out and and have better facilities than others i think that's kind of unique and and interesting Mm -hmm. is like what were you able to do to stay as sharp and ready during a quarantine as opposed to some of the younger players I really mean that. I, mm-hmm. I Now, a lot of these guys may have been able to do a lot more than what I'm saying. I don't know. But I do think that is a fascinating aspect of this. I also think we have focused so much on the pitchers. Like, how far are you ahead? Now, I do think pitchers are going to be further along than what maybe we are talking about um, because they've been told, be ready. Like, be more prepared than you would be, say, In spring training in February, like we've all been trying to say, okay, well, if it's week one in February, here's week two in February, kind of thinking along the lines, okay, if we come back in, let's say an agreement was two weeks ago, you know, you're supposed to be in week two here, that kind of thing, hopefully you're following along. I, I I think position players. It's going to be interesting. They're trying to ramp this thing up really quick, quickly, and uh, a lot of people have told me. Look, and I'm not a doctor, but they've said like soft tissue things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Trying to get ready to play and be on your feet. A lot of people haven't talked about that. How it's going to be very tough for position players to be ready to go. I don't know. I, I just think that's something we need to be paying more attention to. I want to
2: circle back to Tyler O'Neil things up here, and I want your take on this. So uh, got, ground ball to short, bang bang, play at first, and Tyler O'Neil uh, from Canada says to Stubby Clap from Canada, "Was I out?" And Stubby Clap says, "Yeah, you wrote. Well, then you <laughs> Wrote. That's why we need Mike's
6: players so that we can hear those two Canadian guys sing.
3: Sorry, (laughs) sorry. Sorry,
6: Sorry, you wrote. That's one of the things I'm disappointed (laughs) about from the broadcast side of it because. That is off the table now. That was one of the things that we're going to talk about with expanded playoffs, which I really wish we would have had because I think, let's just hope, um, a lot of these things go off without a hitch and you would have had expanded playoffs, which I think would have been great for the sport. But from my perspective, and I haven't heard how we're going to do all these things, but I do think from the, from when we get to playing, it's going to be, it's going to hit people over the head, I think. Um, if you haven't been watching the KBO, like I have, Mm It, it hits you over the head when there's no crowd. Mm-hmm. It's like, whoa, this really is different. This is really not what I was expecting. Now, you get used to it. Once you start watching and you start talking baseball um, as a broadcaster, I think fans get used to it. Um, the thing that we when you watch the KBO, I don't know any of the players. I don't know who these guys are. But... When you start talking about Colton Wong and Paul DeYoung and Goldschmidt and Jack Flaherty and Yachty, and you know, it's kind of cool. You're, you're seeing these guys again, right? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of cool. That part of it will work. But um, when you don't have that atmosphere, that's going to be different. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you guys think about piping in a little crowd? You, I like it. I, I do too. I was watching some soccer. I actually thought I watched two different versions of it. Um, I watched the version that had a little fake crowd, and I watched the version that did not. Uh, They shot the game very tight, Mm -hmm. Um, meaning from the viewer's perspective, if you're driving along right now, that you just saw a lot of the tight action on the ball, a lot of the one-on-one with the fake crowd. The other version I I, uh, was watching had kind of a hollow atmosphere, but you could hear the players. That was kind of cool, too. Um, I kind of liked hearing a little bit of the piped-in crowd. Now, it wasn't... um, it wasn't taking away from the game, but I did think it added some of the atmosphere that I thought was good. I don't know. What do you guys think? I'm with
2: you. I, I like the idea of just from the standpoint of watching the game because you, you don't see it anyway.
6: Yeah. So yeah. hearing the crowd is and it's a, a slower game, yeah. too. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I've got a mixed emotions about it. So looking forward to your show. So did you guys have Nick? We're going on. We did. Okay, I'm going to I'm gonna visit with him Good. Be, because I think it's something that's important for our community. It is. Um, they're doing some great things, especially with the social climate, what's going on. They're trying to do a lot of things in North County, which they already were trying to do. And let's knock on wood that they hopefully can pull this thing off, and we have a, a neat golf event coming up uh, later this summer into the fall. Looking forward to that. All
2: thank right, you. guys. Thank you. Scoops with Danny Mack coming up here on 101 ESPN. Great job by Tanner Hendrickson, our producer engineer today. Thank you. And Michelle, as always, this is a fun Monday.
3: Thanks, Randy. See you tomorrow.
2: And uh, for all of us, we thank
0: you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show till tomorrow at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. That was the character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.